Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Uthersford District Council Planning Committee meeting for the 18th of November. A couple of small housekeeping points before we start. Um, we're not expecting any alarms to go off today, uh, so if they do, please exit through the double doors down the stairs, assemble on the green outside where you will be given further guidance by the Council's fire marshals. Um, all mobile phones should be switched off, please. Uh, this meeting is being recorded by audio and councillors please make sure your microphone is switched on and you speak into it at the appropriate times. We do have a fairly large crowd in today and I think uh, it's worthwhile just uh, reinforcing the fact that um, once the application has been presented to members uh, there will be an opportunity for supporters and objectors alike to speak from the public speakers' chairs. And after that, it's my committee's meeting. And uh, there will be no interruption, please, to whatever you might hear, whether you like it or, or not. So I'd appreciate that. Thank you very much. And on that understanding, we'll proceed. Um, apologies for absence, Maggie. We have an apology from Councillor Riles. Thank you. Any declarations of interest? None that I see. Oh, sorry, uh, Councillor Mills. Uh, yes, Mr Chairman, I have to declare an interest in uh, 0726 uh, at Felstead. It's in my ward. Um, also uh, to application uh, UTT 2446 Pantiles, which is also in my ward, and also to UTT 2431, the applicant and the architect are known to me. Uh, thank you, Councillor Mills. On the ward uh, applications, um, you don't have to declare those as a ward member, but do you have any interest apart from that? Uh, no fiduciary interest. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, the minutes for the previous meeting have been circulated. Is it uh, your opinion I can sign those as a correct record? Councillor Lodge? Yes. Oh, that's a yes. Thank you very much. I will do that later. Thank you. Now, matters arising, uh, starting on page five of your documents, page six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven. Fine. Thank you very much. We shall now move on to our first agenda item. 4.1, which is application UTT 150726 is an application for full planning consent and uh, Mr Luke Mills will take us through. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Ah. Trying to go to the next slide, but it's just taking a moment. Okay, I'll just carry on while it's working away. Uh, the application site is located off Chelmsford Road to the south of Hartford End. There we go. It accommodates a number of industrial buildings associated with a former brewery use. The proposal is to, is to demolish all buildings on the site except the facade of the original brewery building, which would be converted to accommodate one house and eight flats. A further 13 houses would be built across the remainder of the site. This street scene drawing shows a view of the site from the south, which would be visible from the road and the public footpath which runs alongside the River Chelmer. 
These elevations give an indication of the house types across the remainder of the site. This application was considered by the planning committee at its meeting on 21st of October. A decision was deferred to allow the committee to consider the issue of affordable housing provision in the light of information which had been made public shortly before the meeting. The applicant has submitted a viability assessment which concludes that the development would be unviable if the council requires any contribution towards affordable housing provision. The council appointed an independent consultant to review this assessment. The independent review calculated that after taking a reasonable return there would be a small surplus. However, the modelling relies on a number of assumptions, whereas the applicant's assessment uses more detailed information. Taking into account the relatively small surplus and the limitations of the modelling, the independent review concluded that the development is, on balance, unable to make a contribution towards affordable housing provision. It is recommended that planning permission be granted subject to the conditions and the Section 106 agreement described in the officer's report. Thank you, Mr Mills. Um, our first speaker on this matter is an objector, and it's Mike Young. And you have three minutes, Mr Young. Thank you. Keep raising. Thank you. Thank you. I would stress that I have no objection to the principle of housing on this site. My concern is the lack of the provision of affordable homes. The report before you contains one important change from the one presented at the previous meeting. There is a fleeting reference in paragraph 1023 to a supplementary report by the financial validator. I'm at a loss to understand why the officer's report does not contain an explanation of the significance of this supplementary report. The job of the validator is to provide an independent check on the developer's calculations concerning the viability of providing affordable housing. The fact is, there was a serious error in the validator's first report. He had double counted a cost of £900,000. The difference was very significant since that it turned a deficit into a surplus and meant that the development could accommodate some affordable housing. After first denying the error, the figures are now accepted, but the validator has come up with some entirely new and totally different reasons for claiming that affordables cannot be included. In the supplementary report, the validator is essentially saying that his own calculations would not stand up on appeal. He actually states that the developer's own calculations are a realistic reflection of costs. I will highlight one example. The developer had included in his costs a land value of 1.1 million, but the validator reduced this to 900,000. In his supplementary report, the validator inexplicably states that it is the developer's figure that would hold weight in any appeal hearing. But in his first report, he actually stated that the figure of 900,000 was in line with RICS guidance and had been accepted by the developer. I do accept that it is a difficult site and will mention that £800,000 has been included in the calculation to cover abnormal costs. It would need a detailed calculation to determine how many affordable properties can be accommodated, but the figures demonstrate that there is financial scope to include a number. 
I would hope that it would always be the Council's policy to insist that affordable housing is provided where this can be justified. The essential point is that the calculations show that some affordables can be accommodated. I would hope that the Committee will only grant permission providing some affordables are included, although I accept that this might involve employing a validator who is prepared to stand behind his own calculations. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Young. And we have the applicant or the agent on behalf of the applicant, Mr Robert Pomery. And you too have three minutes, Mr Pomery. Oh, good afternoon. My name is Robert Pomery. I'm a chartered town planner. Um, it's really, I already really wanted to say uh, some points of clarity um, and just kind of recap where we've come from in bringing this scheme forward. Um, in terms of points of clarity, I think there was a motion at the last meeting to defer this item which was defeated. So I think Luke's point that uh, the matter was deferred is incorrect. It was actually resolved. The resolution was to grant subject to a seven day window for members to raise um, any concerns they had with the viability assessment. So just a sort of a point of order. Generally, um, there's been two consents on this site, neither of which have been delivered for viability reasons. It is a challenging site and it's been empty for some time now. The applicant set about putting forward a scheme and on the basis of that challenge that the site proposes did a viability assessment in line with the MPPF. That assessment was then submitted to the council. The council independently appoint uh, somebody to verify that uh, assessment. Uh, their consultant, as we hear, has looked at that and officers have accepted the advice. When it was before members last time, uh, council, certain councillors raised issues with the fact that they hadn't seen it and wanted that seven day window and the uh, seven-day window was used and councillors brought forward some concerns. Um, Mr Young just spoke um, about matters that I've not heard before, so I can't really comment on those, but generally uh, the issue, I, as I see it, is really with um, questions being put back to the council's own consultant. Um, we set our stall out early on. That's been assessed. Officers have accepted it. Um, and perhaps um, it's really now for officers to report back to you or from your own consultant to report back to you as to whether those figures are robust. Um, that's really all I had to say. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pomery. <coughs> right, members, now any questions of officers? Councillor Lodge. Thank you, Chairman. First of all, to say that um, I think this is in many, many ways an excellent proposal. I know it's um, a difficult site and um, I, I welcome many aspects of this. However, you'll remember at, at the last meeting I, um, I raised concerns that, that we, we hadn't seen the report. Um, and. Um, we, we took seven days to look at that. I looked at the report um, and I found uh, certain problems and inconsistencies with it. And um, 
most interestingly, the consultant himself withdrew that, uh, that, that first report. So that, of course, raised um, even more concerns. Um, he then submitted a second report, and I think you, you have looked at that and read that, members will have seen that, and one of the points he made in that second report was that the first report was not uh, competent enough, was not accurate enough, was not good enough to stand up to an appeal. He has come back with, uh, with another report which I think again suffers from, from, from similar problems. There are major inconsistencies in that report. Uh, I've, as, as a member here, whilst I like the scheme, I have no confidence in the work which that consultant has done and I think would certainly leave us open to questions were it to, to go to any other, any other uh, form of, um, of inquiry. Um, I would very much like to see affordable housing, I think as all of us would like to see affordable housing in schemes. 40% I think, yes, would, would be difficult on this because it is a relatively difficult site. However, I don't see how any of us could feel comfortable with approving this scheme unless we had a report in which we had total confidence. And if you read carefully the, those reports, I don't see how anybody can have that confidence. I would like a further report and I would like a deferral until we can see uh, a, a proper, unbiased and importantly, qual high quality report. So I propose a deferral. Does that find a seconder? Uh, seconded by uh, Councillor Freeman. Uh, so we will have no further discussions at this time. We will vote on the proposal for deferment. All those in favour of deferment, please show. Three. All those against? One, two, three, four. Uh, abstentions? One. Two. Thank you. So the motion for deferment is lost. So therefore we will continue to debate the uh, matter. Um, in the absence of, sorry, Councillor Freeman. Yes, <clears throat> thank you, Chairman. I, I am very enthusiastic about this scheme, and it grieves me to see it run into uh, challenges of this sort. It seems to me to be unnecessary. But it is an issue of public confidence, and this council has a policy of 40% affordable housing. It is a policy, Chairman, which is honoured more in the breach than in the observance. Uh, we hardly ever achieve 40%. There was a recent example down in Dunmo, but that was one of the few that I've seen. Uh, and this particular scheme offers none, uh, which is fair enough if it cannot be made viable, and I'm very sympathetic with the fact that this could be a very difficult site. Uh, but what I'm not sympathetic with is the quality of the arguments that have been put so far. And so it's a matter, Chairman, of public confidence uh, and when the arguments are, first of all, if you consider this, and I sent this in a note to Andrew Taylor, but he hasn't responded to me, I don't think, um, that uh, first of all, it depends on a report which isn't available, and then it is available, it becomes available during the course of one of these sessions, and it's ruled by the EU Council that that doesn't give us enough time to look at it, and that was one of the bases for the deferment. And then the person who wrote the report changes their ground completely, having made it known that they're not prepared to defend it at an appeal. This, to me, suggests... Uh, and then when we look at it and we run over the figures ourselves and we run the numbers, they don't stack up. This seems to me that any reasonable person would look at it 
and say this does not have our confidence, it needs to be re-examined. So my suggestion, Chairman, this, I made this suggestion, this suggestion to Mr Taylor, is that you commission a further study by a firm that's noted for doing this sort of thing. Somebody will defend it, their judgment, will offend, defend their opinion. Somebody is willing to stand up in court. And on that basis, public confidence would be maintained, and I'd be very happy to support this proposal. Thank you, Councillor Freeman. Councillor Mills. Um, thank you, Mr Chairman. Um, I agree with John and I agree with Councillor Freeman that um, the report may not be um, adequate in some respects. Um, what I would like to state is that under the definition of affordable, this site has 30% of the development that will be under the £250,000 mark. There is actually one that is coming in below 200000 So in terms of affordable, they are affordable within the not under the umbrella of putting it with a housing association, but over 30% of this site will be below that level. Okay, so to my mind, it's affordable, but it's in a different bracket. Um, the other thing I'm aware of is that over half a million pounds has been spent on the um, landscaping and the drainage scheme to actually resolve the flooding of the river. Um, I'm also aware that some green space has been given back um, that was former brownfield site um, it is a low density development and the actual restoration or maintenance of the facade of that industrial building um, is also probably going to cost them another quarter of a million or half a million on top of the site cost. Um, I'm also aware that we're looking at a £900,000 valuation for the site. Um, that site has cost considerably more than that. So with all of those factors in mind, I cannot help but want to get this put through. Um, this is the third time somebody's tried to do this in 10 years. We've now got a developer that's willing to do it. I think it's giving some affordable, and for that reason, I'm going to support it. Thank you. Is that a formal proposal, um, Yes, I'm quite happy to propose it. And your hand went up, Councillor Chambers. Is that a seconding? Yes, please, Mr Chairman. I would, would you like, like to speak, speak on it, it, if I may? You, yes, please. Um, I, in to I totally agree with Councillor Mills. Uh, I think it is, uh, uh, and I think everybody agrees, it is a good scheme. Uh, I think he has explained it a lot better than I can, so I would not wish to waste your time, but uh, I would have much pleasure in seconding the proposal. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Hicks, you had your hand up. Thank you, Chairman. Um, could I ask if uh, Mr Taylor would give us his appreciation of this uh, second report and its implications because um, in reading the report here it, it doesn't really tell me what the uh, officer's own reaction is to, um, uh, to the situation which is being brought about. Mr Taylor. Um, thank you. I'm going to pass over to Mr Mills in a minute for the detail. Um, but I mean officers have been working, I mean this was a scheme around in 2011 when I joined the council and we've been working with a number of different applicants since then and throughout that entire period we've been of the opinion that we're not going to be able to deliver any affordable housing on the site because of the, the, the contaminated nature, the, the cost of the sites, the, the, the redevelopment costs. So we've always been under that assumption and there have been a number of viability appraisals. The previous case um, went to, came to this committee and there was a viability appraisal after 
you know, subsequent to that. And I think the 106 required a payment of a contribution of a pound. As a, you know, that, that was where we got to in terms of it wasn't really affordable, but you know, a contribution was required. So I think officers have always been on that that view. So it's not just one. I know this is a different scheme, but it's not just one consultant that's looked at the issues from our perspective. There's been a number of different consultants, but Mr Mills can pick up specifically on, on the, uh, the viability appraisal that, that we've had done in relation to this scheme. Uh, yeah, so I, mean, I can't necessarily speak for all, all the many inaccuracies that have been stated that there are in the reports, but um, the difference between the two reports, that there's one difference. Um, what it is that without going into too much details and all the figures. Um, the first report inputted a land cost, whereas the model, and this is a standard model that's used nationwide for this, these kind of purposes, the model doesn't require input of that value as, a, as an input, and that's what they've done. So it was an error. It was, it was a single figure that had been put into the model when it shouldn't have been. And so what that did, that resulted in an overall figure after the developer takes a reasonable return, which was a deficit. It was a minus number. It, so it was absolutely categorical. No affordable housing could be provided. Obviously, that relied on an error. So that error was corrected. The second report was done. It comes out with a surplus, which might seem like, okay, in that case, they can afford some affordable housing. However, the point that the consultant makes is that the modelling uses a number of assumptions and also the purpose of carrying out the exercise is to establish whether the viability assessment carried out by the applicant could reasonably said to be true. And the point is that there are two things with that surplus that was identified. Is One, it, it's relatively small in terms of affordable housing provision. So if we were to require that as a financial contribution, it would be in the region of two units that it would be contributing to. And the second and more fundamental problem is that it's based on this, limit, you know, this model that has limitations, which it always will. And so for that reason, they, they, they say they are very confident that it's likely that the assessment submitted by the applicant is a true reflection because it's based on much more detailed costings. Um, and I mean, it, there was a point raised as well about the, the consultant not being prepared to defend the appeal. It, it, maybe it comes across slightly wrong, but the point that he's making is that it's uh, because it seems so likely that the development would be unviable if there was an affordable housing contribution. From the evidence that he's seen, he's saying that it would not be a strong argument, uh, an appeal, and it therefore extends it's not a good reason for refusal. So that's the point that was made there about appeal. Thank you, Mr Mills. Does that uh, make things easier for you, Councillor Hicks? helps considerably, Chairman. Thank, thank you. Well. Councillor Lord, you wanted to come back? Yes, thank you. Yes. Um, uh, I'd like to make two points. One, uh, I have great sympathy with, with what Councillor Mills says, and I, and, and I understand the, the work has, that, that has been done. And probably, or possibly, the situation is that um, very little, or if any, affordable housing could be put into this scheme. What I would ask of officers then, and Mr Taylor particularly, is that for, for future instances of this, could we possibly have a much higher standard of report? I think this leaves a lot, a lot to be desired. So I, I, I just make, make that point. My second point, in that um, 
consultant's report, he mentions the £69,000, £69,380 towards education provision. He also mentions £75,000 towards highways provision. And my point is I don't see the £75,000 uh, in the uh, conditions under, uh, under this application. That, that point does need an answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, that 75,000, um, that came from the applicant that they were factoring in that cost. Um, however, from our point of view, uh, the Highway Authority did not require any sort of contribution. I don't know if these are contributions towards um, some other things off-site or something, I don't know, but it's, you're quite right, we're not requesting in the officer's report a £75,000 contribution towards highway improvements or anything, because that was not requested by the Highway Authority. Mr Chairman, we're losing our, we're not asking for £75,000 which the developer is happy to give. How on earth can we be doing that? Well, the, I suppose the answer is, if, if there's no justifiable reason to request it, then we can't ask for it. It's not, it's not that if someone is willing to give something, it's whether there is a justifiable reason to request a contribution. The education is included, obviously, within the recommendation, but the, if we don't have a request for contributions, and there's no mitigation required, then there's no justification to ask for it. It could be one affordable house the 75,000 is prepared to give. Mr. Councillor Mills. Um, I may be able to throw some light on this. I think um, there's two new bus stops to be provided, um, uh, both ways on the Chelmsford Road, which I suspect is an offset of part of this funding. So basically they put two more bus stops in, it will now come on the main bus route, and I suspect that's where some of the money's gone sideways, if that helps anybody. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Councillor Mills. I think because that's obviously not immediately um, apparent from the um, We've got a proposal uh, on the table for approval. Um, I somehow think I want to suggest to the proposal and the seconder a slight um, addition to that. Obviously, there is feeling amongst our members that. Um, th the affordable contribution, whether it was one there or not to be gained, has not quite been settled satisfactorily. So could I suggest that we maybe um, amend the proposal to read, we'll approve this application uh, subject to a section 106 uh, agreement being entered or being drawn up that seeks an affordable housing contribution. Um, and I think that should probably be off-site, um, subject to a further uh, viability assessment by a another consultant who has not been involved to date. And I'm just going to check with uh, Mr Taylor to see whether that's a proper suggestion to make. Um. It is. I mean, you can make a resolution in that, in that regard as long as we're clear that um, the resolving and the delegating to make that decision subject to that, that, that report, um, you know, i.e. not coming back to committee because that, you can't do that because that's the deferral point and that's been lost. Um, so, it's, it's a, um, so if you are resolving to grant the application subject to a 106 which covers 
education and an affordable housing contribution and the affordable housing contribution to be determined by way of um, a, a further viability appraisal um, and if that shows no, contrib no contribution is viable then as we did before a pound contribution would be the minimum required in terms of completing that loop if you see what I mean in terms of there, there is a requirement in its pound, which is what happened two applications ago I think um, we do use a, pa a range of different consultants and there was another one that I'm thinking of that, that we could use and would be able to turn that around relatively quickly if that was members wishes thank you so going back to Councillor Mills who proposed this approval does that qualification uh, yes, no, I, I agree I mean I take John Lodge's you know concerns seriously and uh, I think if there's a further report that clarifies the situation then um, that's what we should push for okay so yeah I'm quite happy to amend along those lines fine thank you and Councillor Chambers I'll come to you I'm happy to agree chairman thank you Councillor Hicks you wanted thank you chairman um, I'm a little worried in that this is abdicating our role as the decision makers in the, the planning area the what we're saying here or what we're proposing is that we um, make a decision um, which is no decision really because we're passing it over to an independent consultant who we don't know who to, to say uh, yay or nay as to whether the approval should or should not be granted I think what we're doing is we are saying this should be approved however if there is an affordable housing contribution to be obtained we should not lose that contribution and we are delegating the uh, matter to our head of planning to determine that for us that the viability study has come up with a result and it shows X be XB one pound or XB two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for example that will be the definitive answer and that is what we are agreeing today if we choose to approve Yes, Mr. Mills. Um, yeah, I'd just like to make a point to clarify things for you if, if that was the way you were going to go. Um, when, when the consultant does their validation report, as we call it, or you know, the independent review of the viability assessment, um, it, it's very important to recognise that the figure that comes out as a surplus or deficit is not evaluation of the scheme. Like it, as I've said, it's based on modelling, assumptions, that kind of thing. So what would come out of it would likely be um, you know the the surplus is in is so significant that it is likely that affordable housing contributions could be made it's not necessarily going to tell you exactly what those contributions should be because it's not evaluation it's not a detailed valuation of the scheme so I just thought I'd mention that to you because it might leave some questions up in the air before I don't know if Andrew's had other experience, but um, that's my understanding of it. Is it it's not evaluation, so it won't give you a figure that is exactly what could be contributed. It will just say, okay, this, gives, this means we don't have enough confidence in what the applicant has submitted, and therefore perhaps a detailed valuation would explain what that contribution would be. So if we, if we take it from a normal situation, there would be an application which in its own right would determine the amount or the value of affordable housing. It would then be open <coughs> for the applicant to apply to us to say that's excessive because 
So what the, the process we're going through will arrive at that from a different direction, won't it? So, um, you know, it, it will sort itself out. It's not as if we're asking for the impossible to be um, achieved. We are looking at the extent of whereby a evaluation could be arrived at on, on the affordable housing contribution. We'd have all the factors there together. And Mr Taylor could make the judgment on that. Yeah, I just wanted to, to clarify the role of the report in, in what it does, it, it, how it doesn't necessarily give you that exact figure, no, but I it does you know, give you an idea of that's confidence. That's understood, and I hope the members understand that as well. Councillor Hicks, yeah. I, I would like to say that I'm still not happy about this. I, I, I do feel that um, this is um, um, uh, an uncomfortable road to go down. What we're saying is that we had a consultant produce a report and uh, it said there were no uh, affordable homes within this um, uh, uh, within this uh, proposal. However, we have a, uh, people weren't happy with that first report, so we, we call in another consultant who um, c comes up with a report which is slightly different, but um, uh, comes up with a different answer, which I gather produces a, the possibility of a slight surplus on this de development. Um, but he, in turn, um, the nature of his report doesn't appeal to certain of our members. So uh, how many times do well, we I, continue to I, get I, another report? I, 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 I think this is a, a very dangerous road to go yeah, down. I, I think the point is, we last, at the last meeting, we decided to approve it with a seven-day opportunity for, somebody to, for anybody of the members to look at the report, to be satisfied that the report said what it purported to say. What we've heard today is that there are questions about some of the aspects of that report. So what I'm trying to do is to remove the doubt on those aspects of the report um, because they are quite valid concerns if, and if they're right then there, there is a, a contribution to be found. So what I'm saying is we, we, we could approve it today, we haven't had the vote yet, but we could approve it today and we would have certainty that the decision we make today will be ratified in one way or the other with an affordable contribution or not. What it was left at last time is that we had a window to challenge the report which put the decision we made out of the frame. We have to make another decision today. Does that help? Oh, um, a little? A little, Chairman. Thank a you. little. Thank you. Right, on the basis that we then have uh, an, an amended proposal, and we've got the details of that, have we? Fine, thank you. Could we go to the vote, please? And all those in favour of approval, please show. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And that is, that's all of us, yes, thank you. Thank you. So that matter is approved, subject to the verification of an affordable housing element or not. Thank you very much. Right, our next application is item 4.2 on the agenda, UTT 151666. It's an application for full planning consent at Stansted. 
and it's an application that was um, set aside last time for clarity on the highways issues involved and uh, Mrs Shoesmith you are going to take us through. Thank you. Thank you Chairman. The application site for us is Land Rear of 14 Cambridge Road in Stansted. Members will be familiar with the application site from last month's site visit. Um, we've got um, Cambridge Road which is running through here and the site which um, partly fronts on the uh, main road and then behind a number of the properties. The application is for a mixed-use development comprising of 10 dwellings, um, a ground floor retail stroke professional financial unit with an independent first floor office. Also for a three-storey commercial building um, including associated um, garages, uh, parking and landscaping. As part of the scheme, um, the two commercial units which are proposed are here. Uh, one of the units, uh, which is retail on the ground floor and office above, fronting uh, Cambridge Road. Um, that is proposed to be set by, back um, from the back edge of the pavement by 3.6 metres uh, with the commercial unit above and the three-storey commercial unit, which will be located to the rear of that. The, um, the proposed access will be utilising the existing access um, from Cambridge Road into the site. Um, between the two commercial units, we've got commercial parking which is proposed here, here and here. The residential um, properties uh, will begin from here onwards forming a muse close. Um, all of the dwellings will have um, off-street parking, um, sufficient amenity space and back-to-back -back distances from existing neighbouring properties. The breakdown of the residential units um, has been provided in section 3.8 of the report. As part of the scheme, it's also proposed to provide a pedestrian footpath link which is capable of linking to the adjacent car park um, which is located here. If I go through the proposed plans, this is what you'll see on Cambridge Road um, which is the retail unit with the um, office above. The side elevation, um, it will provide a dual aspect um, shop frontage. So as you're um, driving through the access, you'll see this elevation here. The commercial, the second unit, uh, the three-storey, um, would look like this, uh, which would be adjacent to the southern boundary of the site. Um, it would have a mortar-style appearance and having a height of 10.7 metres. The residential units would look like this. These are plots um, 1 to 3, 4 to 5, 6, 9 um, and also 8 would have a, a, car, um, a, a carport so the vehicles can go through the site. This is what plot 7 will look like. 
Plot 10 is what you'll see as you come um, through the access um, into the site and it will be located at the, um, at the top of the site here. In terms of site cross-sections, this is an idea of what the heights would look like through the site, uh, with this being the adjacent building that's been approved on the um, adjacent southern boundary located here of the site. Um, and this is the context of the three-storey building in relation to that and the proposed dwellings. The report outlines the uh, relevant policies, history, representations which have been received and these are located on pages 36 to 54. The principle of the development is acceptable due to the site being located within the development limits of Stansted, uh, within a town centre location and located on Brownfield site. The design of the development is also considered acceptable in terms of its size, scale, design and layout in accordance with policy and addressing the scheme's previous shortcomings and the inspector's concerns. In terms of highway impact, this has been discussed within section C, page 60 of the report. The report has, undertake, uh, has taken into account the amended transport statement uh, which has been undertaken following third party concerns which have been raised. This has uh, considered the proposed development and whether the existing access type is suitable. The report concludes that the access is appropriate for the level of vehicle movement which is proposed as part of the development in accordance with technical guidance. This is also true of the visibility displays which um, have been concluded to be adequate and comply with the visibility standards. Car parking provision is also in accordance with policy. Highways have fully considered the application and the transport statements which have been submitted. Their comments have been fully outlined within paragraphs 8.5 to 8.18 on pages 41 to 43 of the report, of which no objections have been raised subject to conditions. No objections have also been raised with regards to landscaping, contamination, flood risk drainage or ecology. There is no contribution requirement in this instance um, following the amended scheme which has been submitted. In conclusion, the application accords with policy and is recommended for approval subject to conditions as outlined within the report. Thank you, Mr. Shoesmith. Now we have several speakers on this application, and the first on my list is uh, District Councillor, Councillor Dean. And you have five minutes, Councillor Dean. Thank you, Chairman and uh, <clears throat> committee members. This application is located at what is probably the most chaotically congested spot on this district's highway network. Only last night, the Council's Scrutiny Committee members complained about traffic congestion near Tesco and of the need to monitor consequential air pollution. I am convinced that a credible but different design can be created once the applicant begins to work with the local community. To this end, Councillor Geoffrey Sell and I have engaged Essex Place Services Urban Design Team to come up with solutions that could meet both the applicant's and the community's expectations. I accept that you can only consider the application before you today. 
I hope that you will refuse it because it does not meet your policies GEN1 and GEN2. Fourteen homes have dropped to ten since last time. However, a commercial space square meterage of 480 has increased in this application by 54% to 737 square meters. It is still overdevelopment as you refused it on last time. Theoretically, this, will, this, this increase in the commercial bit will generate 20 more traffic movements a day compared with last year's refused and dismissed application. In reality, the traffic movements will be even higher because cars and vans will be driving in and out trying to find a place to park. I'll come back to that. Your committee report makes light of the parking needs of the commercial buildings. It admits that 30 spaces are needed. As only 16 spaces are provided, this is overdevelopment and contravenes your policy GEN2. The proposed pedestrian footpath to Crafton Green Car Park is wanted for people to access the businesses on Cambridge Road. It is not for the convenience of site, application site employees and visitors who would need to clog up the public car park. Stansted, unlike Bishop Stortford, cannot absorb commercial car parking shortfalls. The Cambridge Road area is a public car park of some 50 spaces only. I ask you to refuse the application because there is insufficient parking for an overdeveloped proposal. It does not conform with your policy Gen 2. The second reason for refusal is pedestrian uh, and traffic safety. This has been subjected to several twists and turns by your advisors, Essex Highways. Confidence in their advice must be low. The B1383, the old A11, is an arterial road, not a simple high street as claimed in your committee report. Transport assessments have been based on false data about the authorised use of past activities on the site. Your committee report is misleading. Traffic levels will increase from the authorised level of 64 vehicles a day to 199 vehicles, a threefold increase. Hunters for car park spaces will certainly drive that new figure even higher. In June 2005, Sorda's auctioneers wanted to move to a more accessible location. In the Planning Committee report 10 years ago, planning officers said, and I quote, the relocation of the business to a site with a safer vehicular and pedestrian access and its own accessible car parking area could not fail to benefit the village ten years ago. That was ten years ago and it was considered unsuitable because the junction with Cambridge Road is simply unsafe, to quote them, to quote your officers. This was before Tesco and Sainsbury's came or Sainsbury's was heading over the horizon. The junction does not meet the requirements of a simple priority junction as claimed in your report. It cannot provide 70 metres of unobstructed clear visibility when an HGV, HGV delivery bay is full and, and it's located square up against the edge of the adjacent um, road junction outside Tesco. A solution may be means sacrificing the, the street-facing shop and moving the bus stop to safe, create a safer junction between Tesco and what will soon be Sainsbury. 
a one-way junction within inward traffic only would definitely mean improved safety. This application does not. I urge you to refuse this application for its failure to meet your policies Gen 1 re poor access and compromise safety and Gen 2 re overdevelopment creating a cramped design with substandard parking and servicing arrangements. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you Councillor Dean. Our next speaker is uh, another uh, district councillor, Councillor Sell. And you two have five minutes, Mr. Councillor Sell. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, members, uh, Geoffrey Sell, District Councillor, Parish Councillor, long-time resident of Stansted and frequent user of Cambridge Road. I'm here to object to this application and I will outline the reasons why. As motorists on the B1383 approach Cambridge Road, Stansted, what thoughts run through their minds? Do they look forward to seeing the floral planters, historic houses or tennis courts? No. For many it's the prospect of gridlock, the difficulty of negotiating through the traffic hazards this stretch of road presents. During the day they are met with an assortment of heavy good vehicles, unloading at Tesco's and the co-op. We should also forget the lorries delivering to Churchill's, the fish and chip shop. We have Sainsbury's to look forward to in the, in the new year. The Wood Grill restaurant opposite the site of this application has planning permission for three houses. Drivers have to contend with on-the-road parking and traffic from the two, two garages on Cambridge Road. The infrastructure is already creaking under the pressure of traffic. Why do we want to exacerbate the problem? This application is wrong for Stansted and for motorists using Cambridge Road. Why? Two main reasons. Firstly, it constitutes overdevelopment on a relatively small site. It is proposed no less than 10 houses, a retail unit and a three-storey commercial building. There is insufficient parking allocated in the design, both for the residential and commercial properties. This can be noted especially given the three-storey commercial unit. What parking that is allocated is poorly laid out and does not provide direct access for each parking space to the road. The second reason that this application should be refused is that it does not meet policy GEN1 of Uddlesford's local plan adopted in 2005. This said that the design of the site access must not compromise road safety and must take account of the needs of public transport users, pedestrians, etc. Roland Bilston Traffic Planning in their comments on this application state, quote, the overall conclusion is drawn that the application would be prejudicial to highway safety, unquote. In conclusion, I would request members to refuse this application. The applicants need to go back to the drawing board and draw up a master plan with relevant stakeholders how the whole of Crafton Green site could be developed. There is an opportunity which, with goodwill and shared vision, the problems affecting Cambridge Road could be 
effectively mitigated. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Sell. Um, our next speaker is an objector, Peter Jones. Do you have three minutes, Mr. Jones? Thank you. This is a personal statement, although I am also a member of Stansted and Mount Fidget Parish Council. I will touch on six areas of concern before concluding with the killer issue, one which may be all too aptly named. First, the numbers relating to scale of the buildings were wrong in the last report. The numbers relating to vehicle movements for the previous use are still incorrect. Movements will rise, as Councillor Dean said, from 64 to 99. The process is flawed. Second, the design of the residential development contains a number of flaws, including overlooking no play or green space on site, bin positioning, while the 36-foot high building, commercial building overalls the domestic element against standards. Third, the use and viability of the commercial building is very much a concern from the possibility of intensive use to the more likely change to residential flats. Fourth, tandem parking is a manifestation of overdevelopment and is wholly inappropriate for office building designed to function as six self-contained units against standards. Fifth, there is a significant shortfall in terms of parking of 46% against standards. Neither the small craft and green car park nor the public highway should meet this shortfall against standards. Sixth, no servicing space for delivery and refuse lorries, thus the road must be blocked and vehicles must turn at the end of a residential cul-de-sac. Very unsatisfactory. However, ignoring all of these issues, which I'm sure you will not, there is one overriding concern safety in terms of access to the Cambridge Road. May I conclude by taking some liberties with a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Lorries to the right, buses to the left, delivery vehicles in front, boldly they drove and well into the jaws of danger. The B1383 is not a typical high street, but a main road carrying 16,000 vehicles per day and rising. How does the position sit with your own planning policies? GEN1 access to the main road network must be capable of carrying the traffic generated by the development safely. The design of the site must not compromise road safety. Not met. It provides an environment which meets the reasonable use of potential uses. This is GN2. Not met. And ECC's development management policies to protect and maintain a safe highway infrastructure not met. Is ECC applying its own policies? Safety does not stop at the curtilage of this site. I hope you will reject the application and thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr Jones. Uh, we now have a supporter, uh, Mr Ray Woodcock. You two have three minutes, Mr. Woodcock. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman and committee members. Um, who am I? I'm Ray Woodcock, a resident of Stansted Mount Fidget. I'm a member of Stansted Mount Fidget Neighbourhood Development Plan Committee, a co-opted member of Highways, Flood, and Airport Subcommittees. I'm a member of, of the Speedwatch team and an active member of Stop Stansted Expansion. 
I attend most of our parish council meetings and participate when allowed. My interest, I have no commercial interest of any kind in our village. This planning application is the best possible compromise for this brownfield site. I hope you will approve it. Contrary to some submissions, there have been no fatal accidents in the application area. Sadly, about 300 metres north of the site and close to the derelict Three Colts listed pub, a child was killed by a speeding vehicle a few years ago. Frequently, we hear that many dwellings are needed in our district. I can't recall hearing a national call for more parking lots. I hope you all agree that dwellings are far greater, um, have a far greater priority than car parks, particularly in the centre of a village. To encourage reducing the use of cars, it would be a benefit to have some additional units for small businesses. This planning application provides both dwellings and business units. A few years ago, Sorders Auctioneers, Your Furnished and a few small businesses occupied this site. When Sorders held their weekly auctions, there were about 50 cars, a few lorries and many vans parked there on site. You can view this on Google Earth December 2007 to confirm those facts. On auction days, Sorders had a marshal controlling the vehicles entering and leaving the site. Um, they were not patrolling the pedestrian way. The co-op um, in Cambridge Road will see, soon be relocated to Lower Street. Um, that's expected to happen around about middle of next year. The number of dwellings and business units proposed in this application will generate many fewer vehicle movements than on Sorders auction days and will be spread over the day unlike vehicle movements during the auction days. This application, the third to come before you for this site, is recommended for approval by our planning officers. It provides homes and business units contributing to Uttlesford housing and business needs. I hope you will approve it. Um, one final point, um, there are three-storey buildings very, very close by um, this site. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Thank you, Mr Woodcock. Our next speaker is a representative for the Parish Council, Maureen Caton. I'm not sure if you are a councillor or not. You are. Councillor. Councillor Caton. Thank you. And you have three minutes. Thank you. Chairman and members, previous speakers have addressed the important issues of overdevelopment, tandem parking and the feasibility of the commercial building, data on design size, etc. I shall be addressing the highly important and significant issue of safety and the flagrant dismissal of this aspect of this application and its scrutiny. There is an existing loading bay to the immediate right of the proposed vehicular egress onto Cambridge Road and a bus stop to the immediate left of this point. If there is a bus at the bus stop or a lorry in the loading bay, a driver's sight would be seriously impeded when leaving the site. 
The loading bay serves both the Tesco Express store immediately adjacent to the right and the co-op store further up the road. It is well used with some HGVs scheduled to occupy it for deliveries lasting up to 40 minutes. And we will leave, you have been shown these pictures previously by a speaker, but I will leave those for you to pass round uh, to show the lack of visibility when lorries are parked in the loading bay or not in the loading bay but further up the road. The fact that the proposed development would result in, in a safety hazard is acknowledged in the case officer's report relating to a previous proposal for the site. The report stated... With regards to commercial delivery option, Co-op and Tesco's, considerable time has been spent discussing the issue with highways and they could not find a safe solution with regards to entry and egress from the site. Despite that, the county recommended approval. The county say that the current application is acceptable to the Highway Authority, subject to a series of planning conditions which are required to ensure that the development accords with the Highway Authority's development management policies. But those conditions relate only to matters which are applicable within the curtilage of the site. They do not relate to highway concerns which could reasonably be expected to arise off-site as a direct consequence of the implementation of the development. The county's management development policy document states these policies reflect the balance between the need for protecting the transport network for the safe movement of people and goods and have the following aims protect and maintain a safe highway infrastructure. It seems that the county is not applying its own policies. The proposed development is also clearly contrary to local plan policy Gen 1 access in that the vehicular access to and egress from the main road network is not capable of carrying the traffic generated by the development safely and the design of the proposed development compromises road safety for that reason. It is also contrary to policy Gen 2 design because it does not provide an environment which meets the reasonable needs of all the potential users in that it is reasonable to expect to be able to drive away safely. The potentially dangerous vehicular egress is such that unless this matter can be satisfactorily overcome it should be refused planning permission because it is contrary to both local plan policies Gen 1 access and Gen 2 design and contrary to the aims of Essex County Council's own development management policies. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Caton. Uh, our final speaker is an agent for the applicant, and it's a Mr. Dagg. And under our rules, Mr. Dagg, I can give you six minutes. Thank you. So, thank you very much. Uh, my name is John Dagg. I'm a barrister and a chartered town planner, and as you'll have gathered, I've been instructed by the applicants. So, members, what I would like to do is to uh, emphasize what a very full and uh, thoughtful report you've had presented to you by your officer, Ms. Shoesmith, 
and uh, also emphasise to you um, what uh, I would suggest has been uh, put to you by Mr Woodcock a few minutes ago as a balanced uh, local appraisal of the situation at this site. I'd like to just make um, three uh, broad points. This, as I think everybody in the room knows, is a sustainable uh, brownfield site. It's in the centre of Stansted Mount Fitchett. Everybody here knows that. What's being put forward is a mixed-use scheme, and it's clear that this mixed-use scheme is, in principle, entirely in accord with government advice as contained in the National Planning Policy Framework, and it is entirely in accord with your own development plan. In fact, one could go further and say not just that it's in accord, but this is the type of development which is strongly encouraged by government policy and by your own development plan. The site at the moment, I think as everybody knows, is a cleared site. It is doing nothing. It's a raw scar on the face of the centre of Stansted Mount Fitchett, and the sooner that redevelopment takes place, the better it will be for the character of this particular part of the district. One would have thought that 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 would be uh, very clear. With regard to the detail of the matter, there is a particular advantage in this instance in that there's been a very recent appeal decision. This is made clear on the face of Ms. Shoesmith's report. You have it at Appendix 1 of your report. The inspector's decision is the 24th of October of last year, very recent. It repays very careful consideration, and it indicates the type of considerations that would be live if this matter was unfortunately to be before an inspector again. There is no suggestion in that scheme, which was for a, a larger residential component than the one before you now, that there is any particular difficulty with regard to either traffic generation or traffic safety. There were certain points of detail taken by the inspector, and what the applicants' designers have done in this instance is to take that appeal decision, you might feel entirely reasonably, as the starting point to see what can be done to deal with the detailed points which were not satisfactory as far as the inspector was concerned. And in my submission, following from what your officer has said, there has been success in that regard. Those details highlighted by the inspector have been addressed, and I would suggest that they have been addressed uh, successfully. Now, third point. Uh, throughout, there has been a great deal of controversy with regard to traffic generation and traffic safety so far as this site is concerned. You've heard, of course, from two, two councillors, uh, two district councillors, and from a parish councillor with regard to that matter, and from another third-party uh, objector this afternoon. What I would ask you to do is to do what uh, your officer has done and to take a balanced approach to the matter here. This is, of course, a busy stretch of Cambridge Road. Nobody gainsays that, but this is the centre of Stansted Mount Fitchett. One wouldn't expect it to be completely quiet. This is where most of the commercial activity takes place in Stansted Mount Fitchett. This is not a unique situation. Uh, most village centres and small town centres are like this. It is busy. There are sometimes traffic conflicts. And of course, pedestrians and drivers have to take care. But the fact that they do is evidenced by the fact that there haven't been any accidents in the immediate vicinity of this site. That is recorded on the face of the Highway Authority's analysis, and you will see it on the face of what your officer has to say. 
uh, I'd commend very strongly to you what is said in summary by the Essex County Council in their consultation response at paragraphs 816 and 817 of your officer's report. There's a summary there of the views of the highway officers. A great deal of thought and consideration has been uh, put into the consideration of the uh, traffic and uh, traffic safety aspects here. Uh, the Highway Authority has, in, in my experience, gone to considerable trouble here to try and explain its analysis to the local community. You'll notice that there has been a meeting with Parish Council representatives, and, and I would suggest to you that part of the difficulty uh, with what you have heard with regard to concerns so far as the traffic and safety situation is concerned, that just too unbalanced an approach has been taken. As I've already emphasised, development does produce movement. Development does produce traffic uh, activity. One does have to take a balanced view, and in my submission there is no real conflict here with any of your policies or with Essex County Council's policies either. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Tag. Uh, members, uh, questions. Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Well, you'll excuse me because I've got notes on bits of paper because it was impossible to do this on the iPad. No need to be excused. <laughs> well, I, if you can teach me, I'll be very delighted. <clears throat> right. Well, uh, first of all, I want to go to parking, the commercial parking particularly. Um, we are told that there are 16 car parking spaces which are in a, which is inadequate and contrary. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have to have a cough. <coughs> and is um, contrary to policy Gen 8. Development will not be permitted unless number design and layout of vehicle parking spaces is appropriate for the location. This location doesn't meet parking standards. standards. Provision should be made for the disabled. And we have nothing in the report, and I can't see anything on uh, the map there, on the site plan, uh, for these uh, spaces. Um, it said they should be located adjacent to entrances where possible. They should be convenient to use and, and conform to the relevant regulations. They should be at least 5.5 metres long by 2.9 metres wide. We don't know how many staff will be employed on site, but there is clearly a lack of parking for the able-bodied and disabled. Uh, would officers, if you can, uh, Mr Shoesmith, point out the disabled spaces before I carry on? In terms of the uh, car parking uh, spaces which have been provided, the Essex parking standards provides a maximum for commercial type uses. Um, based on previous um, legislation... You misunderstand me. I asked for the disabled. The disabled. If you, could, if you could point out the disabled, please. None specifically have been identified. I didn't on, think on so because it wasn't in the report and I couldn't actually see it on the site plan here. So you're actually saying there aren't any disabled spaces on the site? 
None have been identified, but they okay, are capable. Okay, that's fine. That's lovely. Thank you. You've answered that. Um, The public car park is outside the control of the applicant and cannot be used as part of this application, which must conform to policy. The car park land is owned by the parish council and is only administered by Uttersford District Council. It may not be there in perpetuity. And I read the uh, inspector's appeal um, from last time, if I can find it, I had it here. Um, at the time of my visits to the site, there was significant competition for the limited number of parking spaces at Cambridge Road, something confirmed by representations received from local residents. However, even if spaces were available within the car park, park I consider it unlikely that all visitors to residential and commercial properties would find it convenient to park in that location. It is a play and display car park and the potential alternative of free parking within the preferred site would no doubt be an attractive alternative. No mechanism to prevent such parking has been put forward with regard to the scheme and it hasn't in this scheme either. Right. At paragraph 11 of the officer's, um, the officer's conclusion says the adjacent public car park has capacity to assist in providing parking facilitated, facilitated by the incorporated proposed public footpath through the site linking, to the, linking the two sites. Yet we're told at paragraph 10.22 that it should be noted that whilst the public footpath has been incorporated within the design of the scheme, it would be down to the developer to, to secure the access rights both with, uh, with the, uh, of the adjoining, sorry, my, I've scribbled these now, with the adjoining car park, both with the parish and district council. Uh, which is a separate civil matter. It can't be assumed that an agreement will be reached on this footpath and it can't be taken into account as part of this application. The site is overcrowded and while there is a lack of parking spaces for commercial units, uh, it has to be contrary to policy. Right, now, sorry. I'm very... Um, all right. <laughs> So stop me while I'm mid-flow. Right, I'm coming now to access, which uh, we know is extremely dangerous. Um, somebody that spoke in support of this, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, uh, said that um, it was uh, busy when Sorders used to be there. No, it wasn't, because Sorders was only open for a couple of times a day. So I don't think we can take that into account. It is extremist, extremely dangerous, and it is contrary to policy Gem 1. Access to the main road network must be capable of carrying the traffic generated by the development safely. The site must take account of the needs of cyclists, pedestrians, public transport users, and we do know there's a bus stop nearby, horse riders, well I think we might discount that one, and people whose mobility is impaired. It must be designed to meet the needs of people with disabilities if it is development to which the general public expect to have access, and we know that they do. 
The site access crosses the pavement on the busiest shopping location in Stansted. It is crossed to gain access to the nearby bus stop for people wanting or needing to use public transport, and the access is used and crossed constantly by pedestrians who are going to Tesco's and the co-op, the chemist, the shops are open late in the evening, and there's a cash point nearby. Sight lines. Well, there's been some dispute about sight lines, um, and I'm, I have downloaded the design manual for roads and bridges, <laughs> which you need to be a physicist to understand, but something that I think we can all understand uh, on the safety, it does say in 1991, but that is when it was printed, so I can't be later, but we know the traffic is busier since then. It said there were 236,000 personal injury accidents, and 51% of these accidents occurred at urban road junctions. And for the same flows, a major and minority priority junction will usually have a higher accident rate than other junction types, and these accidents will be more serious. We were actually on the coach having a site visit when an accident occurred, uh, and I'm very distressed to see, and I don't know why uh, Essex Highways put it in here, so since the transport statement was written, this authority is aware of two further accidents in January and July 2015. 2015 in the vicinity of the application site and in both cases failure to look properly was cited. Well I don't know whether, I don't know if that came from a police report or an insurance claim but I mean that is hearsay and like a likely cause, is that a definitive cause? I don't know. I think we'd have to ask the uh, victims of the accidents for that and I think that should not that has no place in this report. It's quite shocked. Um, the design manual for roads and bridges requires an unrestricted sight line and a distance of 70 metres on a 30 mile per hour road. Uh, this can't happen most of the day because it's usually blocked with lorries, traffic, cars, buses and goodness knows what else. And I do know that because I, I live in Stansted. And it says, um, highways seem to have raised no objection, um, but they're not infallible because, and I, this is all due respect to highways, but when we had the Fairfield application, they, they raised no objection to that either, and the inspector said that none of the roads there were fit for purpose. So uh, I think we should take that into account as well. Uh, sorry, I've got to get my breath back now. Um, Right. Paragraph 814. Highways wrote that since the trade... Oh, no, I've done that bit. Sorry. Yep. So I'll go on to the other one. So it's contrary to Gen 5, which is light pollution, because this, there is an office block. No, you, you can raise your eyebrows, Mr. Taylor, but offices have their lights on. They have to have the lights on in order for people that work there to work. And it is on a residential site. It's overlooking a residential site. It's Gen 2, by the way, Mr. Taylor. You said Gen 5. Sorry, it's Gen you said 5. Gen 5. <laughs> You're quite right. Gen 2 is design, which I will also come to, because commercial building is, is overbearing on a residential site. If you look at the plans, you will see a commercial... Gen 5 is uh, light pollution in the countryside, That's right. so we can dismiss that one. No, no. Yes, we can. Is it yes. in the countryside, are you yes. sure? Yes, yes. yes, yes. Well, I thought we were in the countryside. <laughs> well, even so, anyway. it, there will be 
light pollution because it is an office block. The lights will be on, especially in the dark winter evenings, and uh, it will be obtrusive to the people that are living there. I don't care uh, how you may put cosmetic appearance on that, it will. And if you look at this building here, commercial, unit, commercial 2, which you probably need a magnifying glass if you got it off of the plan on the website like I did, um, it overlooks the gardens. It is massive and it really is not suitable for a residential area. It will be overbearing. So, I mean, the policy, so I, and I will, uh, well, I don't want to make a recommend, recommendation for uh, refusal because it won't give anybody else a chance to have a speak and I think they should have their say. But I can cite Gen 1, Gen 2, I won't go with Gen 5 now because you say it's in the countryside, but Gen 8, which is parking standards. And for all these reasons, I will not vote for this application. You, you are at liberty to make a recommendation um, without uh, truncating any discussions we may have apart from a deferment, which we're not, hope not going down there. Right. So if well, you want to make a... a in that a, case, yes, I would recommend refusal thank you. on this application for all the reasons I have said. Thank you. Yes, and does that find a seconder? That's seconded by Councillor Freeman. Would you wish to speak at this time on the application? Uh, yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, all the arguments have been put, and those of us on this committee will have been besieged by photographs coming into their mailbox and goodness knows what else, um, which don't necessarily make much difference to one's judgment. Um, it's a brownfield site. Uh, this plan is, I think, unimaginative, but it does tick all the boxes in terms of usage of the site, uh, and I don't have a problem with that. The commercial building is rather overbearing, and one could imagine that it's just waiting to be converted into dwellings uh, if it doesn't earn its keep as a commercial building. But the single thing, Chairman, which I find convincing came from our site visit um, however long ago, very recently. Uh, and it's not the location, it's not any of the things that have uh, been discussed in terms of vehicle movements, only indirectly. What does concern me, and I drive along that road frequently at all times of day and night, uh, and I've walked along that pavement, and it is a hazardous pavement to walk along. It's tarmac. Uh, when you walk across the access to this site, it's not obvious that you're walking across an access to a site. Um, and the thing that concerns me is that if you're walking along there as somebody of limited mobility or limited sensual awareness, uh, if you're pushing a, a child in a, in a buggy, for example, uh, or if a person uh, who is disabled, um, you don't expect a vehicle to come in from right angles, from your blind side. You don't expect that. Uh, but you're pushing along a tarmac pavement, and there's no indication at all you're crossing a piece of land where there are vehicles coming at right angles to your direction of travel. It's an incredibly dangerous thing for pedestrians. I don't particularly care about car drivers and lorry drivers because they're wrapped up in metal. They're fairly safe. But people on foot are incredibly vulnerable. There's a Tesco's there. They're only concerned for somebody going to the Tesco's that they get their sandwich and get away from there. There will be, I'm told, a Sainsbury's on the other side. That'll make it even worse. There's a fish and chippy around there. Um, it's a lethal combination of pedestrian movements 
uh, and traffic which has inadequate sight. So on that basis alone, I just think it needs to be rethought. If you remodelled the kerb and the pavement so it was obvious to people walking along there that they were leaving the safety of the pavement and they were going across an access to a site where vehicles were coming in and out, that would be quite different. But there isn't, and it's not proposed by the developer. Uh, that would, if there was a kerb which you had to stop at, uh, that would be very different, but that's not the case. It's just a straight pavement, and people will be motoring across what is essentially a pavement. And to me, Chairman, that is incredibly dangerous. Thank you for those thoughts, Councillor Freeman. I'm conscious of the fact that we do have the highways uh, representatives here, and I'm going to ask them now to comment. But uh, before I do, um, I just want to take some of the emotion out of this, but surely every... <laughs> Junction, every road junction which has a, a, a pavement at right angles to it, it's the same situation. You, you can't say this is different to any other. It may be in a busier road, it may be in a more heavily pedestrianised area of, in, in this particular instance, but it, it's the same instance. You could say, if you took that to its limits, <coughs> that probably the most dangerous junction around there is the exit to Crafton Green Car Park. However, I rest my case, and yes, because we just had the, 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 the argument that traffic coming in and out at right angles to a footpath is dangerous. Well, that's what happens at Crafton Green Car Park, and no one is saying Crafton Green Car Park is, is a dangerous place. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going right, to... So no, no, I've got to take issue with that, because Chapel Hill is just a minor road, if you like. The B1383, and it is a B road... Is a very busy shopping road. No, you the, cannot the, equate I, the entrance to. I'm sorry, you're yes, wrong. Yes, you can you because can, the traffic. No, no, no. We, well, yeah, okay. You could say uh, when I go into my drive, I'm crossing a junction. Absolutely. But we're not talking that, are we? We're talking about where lots of people cross and yes. where they go to the shops and where they get buses. You, I'm sorry, that's just. I'm yes. sorry, that's a silly analogy. No, I'm sorry, it's not right. Okay, um, Matthew, could I ask you to address? the situations regarding the discussions that have been had with you and the Parish Council and in particular just a minute, yeah, um, and in particular with um, reference to the makeup of the footpath which if this were to be allowed what, would, what changes would be need to be made to the footpath in the exit to the site thank you thank you chairman um, yeah, I've, I've just got a few points I'd like, uh, like to make in respect to this, and I'll come on to the, uh, the footpath um, uh, piece at the, at the very end. Um, I mean, what we've, what we've got before us is, a, is a, a historic site. It's got some history. It's got vehicle access history to it, and it's a brownfield site. With regard to visibility displays at the access, um, they do meet the requirements when there are no park vehicles parked out on the B1383 Stansted Road. And indeed, indeed, we've got a collection of standards here. Um, the design manual for roads and bridges has been mentioned um, already this afternoon. The design manual for roads and bridges is a document which is produced to advise kind of the highways agency in construction of uh, trunk roads. Um, and, and, and there's other documentation which looks at kind of other locations, and that's published in the manual for streets document. So there are two documents, and we use them both readily in terms of advising um, you know, district councils in, in respect to planning matters. In respect of vehicles that are actually exiting the actual site, 
Um, we have uh, both uh, Claire and myself have actually been out on site and met with the parish council to discuss um, you know, our views on the particular subject. Um, and when, when you have parked vehicles, particularly a lorry in the passing bay, which has been mentioned, you do your, your, your visibility isn't blocked entirely. Your, your close visibility is, but you can see approaching vehicles around the back of the lorry in the area of where the actual uh, crossing is, because you've got a considerable footway width which you're passing across. And I'd argue that any driver which is approaching an access to the highway is looking at all times on their approach to that road. They're not just getting to the actual road and then, oh, the view's blocked. They're actually aware of what's going on around them as they're actually approaching the carriageway. Um, we've already heard that the, uh, that the, the B1383 carries a lot of vehicles, 16,000 vehicles per day as, uh, as has been quoted and it suffers from congestion at, at, at peak times and probably throughout the day at a busy high street location. Now, that's entirely true. And I think what that, the, the benefit that that brings, if any, to the situation is that the, the movement generally of vehicles through that, that area, which is rather constrained as a, 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 a sort of town, village centre location, uh, is that speeds would be lower than you'd expect them to be normally. Um, it is a high street location. It has many competing uses, and indeed, up and down that stretch of road, when we walked up and down there, you know, both arriving at the meeting with the parish council, there are many accesses along there, um, serving different uses, um, and 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 they compete with kind of the requirement for provision of on-street parking for people to visit those kind of um, facilities and services that are provided on that host high street location. Um, I'm most conscious that there are um, other schemes which perhaps others may have in mind for this particular site, but I think the inevitable issue is that access will be required to some extent from the B1383. Um, just coming back really to looking at the footway um, access issue, which has been mentioned most recently, um, it is a wide footway there. It's about sort of three metres wide, I believe, the footway at that particular location. The access takes the form of a um, what we would call a drop curb crossing as opposed to having kind of radius curbs on it. Now what that lends itself to, it means that the pedestrians essentially have got the right of way in that location and that drivers need to beware and give way coming from the side road there because essentially what we haven't got is radius curbs which is a normal access to a, an estate road kind of location where the opposite is true and you're giving a right of way to motorists to come out and join the carriageway. So that's the, that's the first point I want to make there. Um, secondly, we've got a, issue, a situation there where the commercial unit, um, which is being constructed up there, um, is set well back from the edge of the footway and does afford quite a lot more of an open aspect to this access than is currently on site at the moment, depicted by the hoardings, etc., which probably give a, a, probably a false sense of enclosure to the situation at the current time. Um, I think they're the main points. I think Claire would just like to uh, come back on the uh, on the accident records, which is looked into as a part of this proposal. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I just I just wanted to clarify that the um, the accidents they were the police reports. Um, they were not available to the um, the highway consultant because um, there's a, I think about a three month delay, and obviously their report was written earlier. But they were the police reports, and they did say that it was likely, the likely cause was um, failure to look properly. Sorry, you say the likely cause, it isn't the definite cause. The likely well, they, cause... Well, they could never say that. Well, exactly, they can't, and that's my point. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Lodge. 
Thank you. Mr Chairman, if I may, I have, I have a question of our uh, legal officer which, which concerns the existing use and it was part of a letter in fact including the papers from Councillor Dean and it's on page 52 and it's his point five. He maintains the site has no existing use because the buildings have been demolished. There is no current use of that site and legally this would be a completely new form of uh, access to the highway from a legal perspective. I'm not sure I quite understand what your question is. I'm sorry. Page 52 of the papers. Point 5. <coughs> uh, the site does have a use just because the buildings have been demolished doesn't mean to say the planning use has been extinguished. I, will, uh, I think Mr Taylor would agree with me there. I think uh, it, the, issue, the issue that, we, that we've taken is that while the building has been demolished, that hasn't necessarily extinguished the previous use on the site. Within planning terms, there are, within planning, there are certain terms, for example, abandonment. And there are various tests that one has to go through in terms of abandonment. Some of that is the owner's intention. Some of that is the, is the time scale. Some of that is the state of the site and, the inter, and intervening uses. So while the building might have been demolished, my understanding is there hasn't been any intervening uses. The owner's intentions have always been very clear in terms of the, the future use of the site and continuation. Um, but I'm not sure that's the critical point from the highway's perspective in terms of what Essex highways are if, if this is the point, um, in terms of the access on, onto the site, there is an existing access onto a road. Um, a lot of play has been made of historic uses and historic uh, amounts of traffic on there. But my understanding, and I'll stand to be corrected, is that while Essex have looked at that, they've also assessed the junction and the potential capacity and the potential um, traffic from this development and found it to be acceptable. So leaving aside a historic use, They've said that's not relevant necessarily. While, there's a, while you can make an assessment against it, they've also assessed you know, there is an existing access, there's an existing road, and does the amount of traffic created uh, cause any harm to that? So um, I, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a, a, an important point, actually, in terms of the decision in relation to highways. No, I stand corrected if I'm wrong, but that's my understanding of the assessment that's been taking place here. Yeah. Okay, so thank you. I'll, I'll, I will accept that, and, and, uh, but, but it, it, it would have made a, an even bigger uh, point to, to, the, to the point I'm going to make, which is that I think it's pretty, pretty well accepted that there were some very misleading figures gave, given in previous applications. And as I understand it, almost certainly, this does 
um, uh, form and increase in usage. And I think the best accepted numbers are from 64 movements to 99 movements a day. So my first point is there is a significant increase into the, uh, of, of traffic out onto, uh, onto the high street. Now, I've actually been driving up and down there for around about 50 years. Uh, I do it very regularly and I've seen the conditions deteriorate. Um, I, I think most of the points I want to make have, have been made, but uh, one point which I would like to amplify, and it is a point which was actually made by uh, noise from, the, uh, from, from our audience, and that was when uh, a point was made that you can see around the traffic there. I'm sorry, that is absolutely wrong. It is very dangerous. As we know, probably theoretical splays are quite acceptable. In, real, in, re, in realistic terms, in the way that site operates, that high street operates during the week, you may have a very large Tesco lorry, you may have a bus parked there, you cannot see around it. Theoretical displays are probably correct. The actual physical displays, as people present there and as people try to use it, it is dangerous. I will be voting against this. Thank you. Can I, I want to go back to you, Matthew, in, in terms of the discussions you've had in terms of what improvements could be made, if, if any. Um, one point was made, and I think it might have been Councillor Dean made it, that the Tesco delivery lorry, for instance, would be hard up, its nose would be hard up to the uh, right-hand side of the entrance. Is there no um, possibility that that bay for deliveries could be there could be a build out at that point which would push the lorries further back up the road so that that improves the immediate short term um, vision as a car is is exiting we, we haven't actually looked at um, I don't think that the developer has put forward any of those as part of the proposals on, on this so we haven't had a, a conversation in, um, in that respect regarding that all, all I do know is that there is always lots of competing uses out on that high street location and I believe that the, the North East Essex Parking Partnership who are obviously responsible for, for looking at those restrictions and enforcement of those have, uh, are always kind of I suppose at odds in terms of trying to accommodate the needs of both the general public and, and, and servicing of commercial units along that thing so I suspect if something like that was looked at it may have some knock-on effects further on. I know that the crossing is quite closely placed behind, so I suspect that the space you've actually got there to play with is quite limited on the, on the street frontage. Fine. Thank you very much. So, Councillor Chambers. Thank you, Mr Chairman. I've been listening very uh, intently to what's being said, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the question of highways and parking. Uh, I perhaps have been around a little longer than even Councillor Lodge and I can remember for a long, long time the difficulty with the traffic in Stenstead. Having lived around here a long time and being a simple country person, there seems to me that, that what needs to be done is something needs to be done about that particular spot in Stenstead. Now, my simple mind says to me, you have parking on both sides of the road. You have uh, Tesco's there. You have Sainsbury's going likely to come there. You're going to have one or two other shops there. Is there any reason why you can't have a single yellow line on one side of the road so that you actually make it more accessible for whatever you're going to have there and safer? Because the whole thing to me is... 
a question of safety. I'm sorry, I might be out of order, but I think public safety is first and foremost. And I can't see that anything along there is going to help public safety unless you get some form of movement so that people cannot park there and it makes it access for the traffic and indeed the loading bays or whatever they might be, then I think it would be a different matter altogether. Thank you, Councillor Chambers. Um, are there any other comments from members? No. Um, if we, from, we need to look at this from a planning policy point of view. We have um, a proposal for refusal on Gen 1 and Gen 2. Um, but we have and Gen 8. And Gen 8. Was it? Thank you. Um, we have to look at the other aspects of the matter before we make our decision um, because we want to be sure that the decision we make is a sound one. And mindful of the appeal um, opinion that um, an inspector made, he saw no difficulty on traffic concerns. If we look at the other aspects of it, um, there are no other reasons under um, our, our plan and the MPPF why we should be refusing it. Um, we've, certainly the objectors have not come up with any other reasons. Gen 1, Gen 2 and Gen 8. If Gen 8 is... Sorry, Gen 8 is... Parking spaces. Parking spaces, yeah. Um, that's... That's one that uh, you might feel is not completely sound. But it, I, I, sorry, I actually do. I'm sorry, Mr Chairman, I think you're leading the committee. No, I don't I think, think so. I think we're perfectly able to... I think you are. No, sorry. No, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm expressing I think, my I, I'm point sorry, of view, I, as I, others have expressed... I have actually... I, I have already given reasons for refusal, yes, which um, is Gen 1, Gen 2 and Gen 8. And uh, I think... I would leave it to the committee to make up their mind whether they think Fine. I've made the right decision. The committee will make up their mind. I'm expressing my opinion that I think we are um, ignoring the fact that uh, the MPPF says this is a site that should be developed um, and it's being proposed in a way that could be developed. That's all I'm saying. So if there are no other comments, we, we can... Oh, sorry, Councillor Hicks and Councillor Mills. Councillor Hicks first. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I, I suppose I, I'd like to start by saying that I think that um, over the years I've had um, uh, many um, clashes, probably, uh, disagreements with Mr. Woodcock over various planning matters, um, but today I find myself 100% in agreement with everything he said. I think he was right. This is a brownfield site. Um, it's in a sustainable location. Um, the uh, plan which is brought, being brought, for, brought forward is to me, it seems to be perfectly acceptable. And um, I, uh, had we not had the um, um, lengthy um, um, list of reasons for rejection, I, I think when there are so many reasons, I always worry about it. It means that uh, the people concerned are not... Um, uh, thinking about um, those particular objections, they're only trying to find ways not to have approval granted to this particular application. 
and, uh, but in my view, um, all the requirements um, for a good application are present here, and uh, had um, the proposal for refusal not been made, I would have proposed um, that this should be approved. Thank you, Councillor Hicks. Councillor Mills. Um, thank you, Chairman. Um, I acknowledge it's a brownfield site. I acknowledge that the NPPF is uh, fully compliant in its approval and what the officers have put forward. Um, just because things have been done wrong in the past, it doesn't mean we should carry on doing it. And I just think that uh, with the traffic congestion, sightline issues and everything else, I think it's compounding a problem that is already there. Um, and if we can't come up with, or the developer can't come up with a a better way of either a one-way through this site or something else. There must be other ways of developing it. Um, the simple facts that you know they've reduced from 14 to 10 houses takes out maybe you know eight parking spaces. They've added what 300, 3,000 square foot of office space. That means to me we've increased the traffic movement and compounded it from the uh, application that was dismissed before. So for that reason alone, I should not be voting for this. Thank you. Okay, fine. Then we can go to the vote, I think, now. Uh, so all those in favour of refusal for reasons Gen 1, policies Gen 1, Gen 2 and Gen 8, please show. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And those against? 2. So that uh, application is refused. Thank you. Our next item on the agenda is 4.3. Can we have a break? Comfort break. Two minutes. You have two minutes for a comfort break, members. Thank you. Do not be late back. Thank you. Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. 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 Please hold. Your meeting has been temporarily adjourned.
Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Please hold, your meeting has been temporarily adjourned. Let's recommence, please, ladies and gentlemen. No, he's gone. Uh, Councillor Lodge has uh, left the meeting for a uh, Previous appointment. Um, item 4.3, application UTT 14-3266. It's an outline planning application at Newport, and uh, Mrs. Shoe Smith will take us through. Thank you. Thank you, Chairman. The application site is land south of Wyndham's Croft. Uh, members' attention is drawn to the supplementary representations where additional highway representations have been received. This application was considered at the Planning Committee meeting dated the 11th of March 2015. A copy of the original officer's report is attached within Appendix A, whereby planning permission was granted at that meeting. Following the granting of planning permission, um, con the consent was judicially reviewed. It had been found that a screening opinion uh, was not undertaken and the High Court subsequently quashed the planning permission in May 2015. 
As a result, the application remains undetermined and reverts back to the District Council. Since the High Court's findings, um, a screening opinion has been undertaken on the site uh, with regards to the proposed scheme. The screening opinion had outlined that the proposal constitutes the Schedule 2 development as identified within the Environmental Impact Assessment Regulations 2011. However, the impact of the development would be limited to the village of Newport when considered on its own. When considered cumulatively, the environmental impacts are unlikely to extend beyond Newport and would not be significant to warrant an environmental impact assessment. Therefore, it was concluded that the proposed development would not be significant, um, would not have significant effects, and that um, an environmental impact assessment would not be required. Since undertaking the screening opinion, other committee developments have been granted and have also since been considered as part of the report and also their cumulative impact. The cumulative impacts from those developments do not alter the conclusion of the screening opinion which has been undertaken. Together with this, an updated ecological report has been submitted as part of the application um, due to the period of time which has, has lapsed since the determination of the application. This was concluded that the findings were acceptable subject to conditions. As a result of the application, um, it is recommended for approval subject to a Section 106 agreement with recommended conditions and the additional highway comments within the supplementary representations, apart from Condition 2, uh, which would be imposed as an informative. If I could quickly go through the plans just to um, remind everyone of what the scheme was originally about. It's an outline application for the erection of 15 dwellings all, with all matters reserved except access and the scale of the development. The scheme would have two access points. Uh, again, this is an indicative plan, so it will be further to reserve matters should planning permission be granted. Two access points are proposed here and here. Uh, with passing bays that also have formed part of the uh, proposed application. This is an, idea, an indicative idea of the layout in relation to um, the adjacent sites, these being the, um, the greenhouses opposite and also uh, dwellings here, here and Newport, um, the, the, the school. This is... Um, <coughs> A street, a street scene of what the scheme is likely to look, at, uh, look like and again a, a bird's eye view of the scheme. As I say, recommendation has not altered as a result of the screening opinion being undertaken and therefore recommendation is, um, is for approval subject to the 106 agreement and amended conditions. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Shoesmith. Now we have several speakers for this application, the first of whom is District Councillor Parry. You have five minutes, Councillor Parry. Thank you, Chairman, Councillors. This site is outside village development limits and is greenfield. Policy S7 states that development should only be granted outside these limits if there's a need for development to take place. 
Newport currently has permissions granted for 150 houses in a village of 950 houses, and this need cannot therefore be shown. Uttlesford has a five-year housing supply, which is set at the 1st of April for the year. Applications should be determined against the current year's supply, which we have with the required margin. UDC has worked to prove it has met the requirement, and this requirement should not now be ignored on the grounds that we might have a deficit in future years, as we have recently been advised by email. This would completely defeat the object of achieving the five-year supply for the current period. Also of consideration is the distance to village amenities and the woefully substandard access. It is over a mile to the station and primary school, the route to which is not level and easy, as stated in an email from the applicant. It involves crossing four roads to get to the primary school, and to the station it involves an unmade path which is muddy in winter. There is no lighting, no footway, and the byway is narrow and visibility poor. There is a very real threat to public safety. It therefore fails on sustainability required both by NPPF and UDC policies to discourage car use. The Education Authority has stated that children will have to be provided with a bus to the village primary school on the grounds that there is no footpath on White Ditch or School Lane. There is a lack of school places for early years, primary and secondary education. Essex Education state that if the application is refused, lack of school places should be given as one of the reasons. This application should be conditional on Essex stating that they will provide places within Newport and confirm a plan with relevant timescales. The Essex Education portfolio holder has refused to confirm any expansion plan for the Joyce Franklin Academy. My um, colleague, Councillor Hargreaves, is going to continue with further um, points. So please consider this um, application for refusal. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Parry. Uh, Councillor Hargreaves, you're next to speak and you too have five minutes. Thank you. Thank you. If uh, White Ditch Lane was a new access road to be built to this site, then no doubt Essex Highways would enforce their standards. Uh, it would therefore be, I assume, a full two-way road with a minimum six and a half metres width, a two to three metre footway, uh, minimum sight lines of 33 metres, and street lights. But of course it has none of these. It is a single track byway with a blind S-bend. It's a shared space between horses, cyclists, pedestrians and vehicles including the oil tank as there's no gas and septic tank vehicles as there's no sewer. Um, last time, the applicant told the committee that the lack of a footway was solved by pedestrian access via a path at the back of the site existing at uh, Redbank, coming up next. That is okay for the secondary school, but it's not for anywhere else. Uh, it's a narrow, muddy, one person with path squeezed between Redbank, which wishes to expand and has been contesting the width of the path, and the sharp thorny hedge on the school boundary at the other side. You can't take a buggy along it, and it's too steep for a bike, and it's unlit. 
Uh, he needs wellingtons and a thick jacket, and in the summer it's, it's a jungle. And by the way, it is narrower further up than the exit you will have seen this morning at Red Bank. So it does not solve the problem of the lack of footway. Now, uh, S6 highways have enforced their standards from the exit from the site. It must be five and a half metres wide. But that's going on to a main road, in inverted commas, that is a metre narrower. Um, some passing places are included, but they don't solve the lack of footway, they don't solve the lack of street lights or the blind bend. But the passing places are required to have a 33 metre visibility, but you don't get that on the road. Now, when I queried with highways um, on a similar application on Whiteditch Lane, why they're not enforcing their own standards for, for Whiteditch Lane, the answer was it would be too expensive. So it seems to mean that standards are enforced uh, sort of if it's convenient, but if it's troublesome, they, they, just, they seem to be just being ignored. Um, now, when this application last came before the committee, the previous chair stated that the committee could see that White Ditch Lane is not suitable. Since then, in addition to 20 more houses getting permission, there is precedent from Great Chesterford for this committee referring an application back to Essex for reconsideration because you are not convinced about the access along an existing road. So my request to the committee is please will you do the same here and ask Essex to reconsider why when the access would completely fail every fundamental requirement as a new road they're permitting the development with conditions that just do not address their own standards. Um, Finally, could I just add, um, if you are minded to do this, I think we would get a wider benefit because if everyone knows that UDC will hold everyone to the highest standards for our district, then we'll get better quality applications and that will make everyone's jobs easier. Thank you, Councillor Hargreaves. Our next speaker is an objector and it's Christine Mayall. And you have three minutes, Mrs. Mayo. Thank you. I'm someone who lives along White Ditch Lane. As you've heard, it's a single carriage byway with no footpaths, a steep gradient and a blind S-bend. Essex Highways state that being a byway means the predominant users are people, cyclists and horse riders. These main users are very important to me. They are not merely words on a page or part of a planning policy. They are my eldest daughter walking her dog, my other daughter jogging after work, as they both live on the lane. This will also include, very soon, grandchildren going to the local shops, the playground and the primary school. They are my friends walking their children, some in buggies, to see me. They are my son-in-laws, my friends and neighbours cycling to work. They are neighbours riding their horses. The question I raise to members is who is looking after their safety and well-being should this development be approved. I understand from planning officers and Essex Highways that they are not responsible for this but only make recommendations to the committee and its members who decide the outcome. 
Essex Highways have stated that they have no plans to improve the byway to make it safer for these users. I scoured the recommendations in the officer's report to find reference to the safety of these main users, that is my family, friends and neighbours, and what did I see? I saw recommendations for the protection of nesting birds, reptiles and other wildlife, the protection of historical grounds. I saw recommendations to keep the people who may live on the development safe with improved wider roads and footpaths. Yet none of these deemed necessary for the safety of my family, friends or neighbours. I saw recommendations for the protection of vehicles using the byway with the provision of passing bays and access roads, noting that Essex Highways say that there is nothing to prevent these bays being used as parking spaces, creating more of a safety issue. The last recommendation that Essex Highways has added is actually a recommendation to protect the byway surface during construction. It has to be noted equally that there is no mention of preserving the character of the lane by not removing existing hedgerows trees to create these bays. I'm sure you're aware by now of the UDC policy Gen 1 that says the traffic generated by a development must not compromise road safety and must take account of the needs of cyclists, pedestrians, horse riders and people whose mobility is impaired and the development should encourage movement by means other than driving a car. So this application breaches the requirement of Gen 1. Finally, this development is opposite to existing dwellings and another five that have been approved and yet there's nothing protecting these residents' privacy within the application. Since neither the planning officers nor Essex Highways have the authority to decide on the impact of this development, which will have safety and the well-being of my family, my friends and my neighbours at its heart, I'm looking to you as our elected members with that authority to be their guardians. I ask you to press the pause button on this development until you are fully convinced that the measures have been taken not to compromise their safety and well-being and to protect them from injury and harm. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mrs. Mo. Our next speaker is another objector, and that's Peter R. Scott. Are you from Parish Council, Mr. R. Scott? I am a Parish Council member, but so, I'm yeah, speaking but I, on their behalf. Yes, no, the I correct my... Uh, uh, introduction, it's Councillor Ask. Um, good afternoon, no, everybody. I don't want to go over what people said before because I'm pretty well in agreement with nearly everything they say. But what concerns me, as I live at the confluence of School Lane, Berry Water Lane, and Wickham Water, I'm in a very good position eating my cornflakes every morning to see what goes on with traffic flows, school buses, flooding, and everything. Further, with all this extra traffic that's going to come from the recent developments that have been passed when you get past the grammar school entrance you come to the Berry Water Lane there is no footpath when you get to the main road you've no foot, proper footpath north to the railway bridge and you've no proper footpath left past the front of the grammar school every one of these houses has to comply with part M of the building regulations no account of this is to take no account of this in the infrastructure to provide access for these people. I emphasise disabled people, but not everybody is disabled. But I, I live in Tenterfields and I think, well, if I've got to go in a mobility scooter soon, how am I going to get to the main road? 
safely on a footpath. It's impossible. And my real objection is you just are not looking at the infrastructure with surface water, roads, I won't go into all of them, but there must be some common sense somewhere. And Essex, I just they want a good shake-up because how you can let all this development take place in a three metre wide road. You might have seen me holding a tape there this morning, measuring three metres across the gullies. You know, it really beggars belief. Now, there is just one other little thing I'd like to mention. On the plan here, it shows a footpath coming out the back of the site, which came down adjacent to Red Bank. Well, if somebody just said, you'd have to send your child to school with a pair of boots as well to change when he got to school, because really, that is inadequate for people. You expect people to come from this development and a previously approved development to reach Berrywater Lane. It's not safe down this side, as you know. S-Bend, no footpath, no street lamps, no nothing. I don't know how we're going to resolve it, but we've got to bang some heads together somewhere. We've had Ian Hazelhurst... Um, Hazelhurst, our MP there. We've had Nigel Brown there. We've, done, we've tried to in, involve the uh, district councillors on a walkabout. They've been too frightened to show their faces, feeling they might prejudice an application. But the, I put it to you, it's important they are familiar with the surroundings appertaining to this development that are taking place in Newport. And I don't know whether our district councillors have blobbed you, I've rest my case, really. I just think you've really got to get to grips with the infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Arscott. Good. Our final speaker is the agent for the applicant. That's Mr. Dagg. And again, Mr. Dagg, I can give you six minutes. Thank you. Thank you, sir, very much. When uh, she was introducing the, uh, the matter, uh, Ms. Shoesmith um, emphasised that, of course, this committee had granted planning permission previously. Uh, you were given the, the details uh, of that. That was 11th of March of this year. My, my principal submission is that uh, nothing significant has changed since the 11th of March and that this committee ought to be consistent in its approach so far as the merits of this application uh, are concerned. Now it is right of course that uh, subsequent to the decision on the 11th of March the uh, decision then was challenged and you've heard what happened. Can, can I just emphasize the way in which that was dealt with uh, both of course by uh, your authority and of course so far as the applicant was concerned. That's to say everything was dealt with uh, by consent. It was realized uh, very quickly that there should have been uh, screening in respect of environmental impact, and, and that hadn't occurred. And, and that, was, um, uh, that was a legal flaw that was appreciated very rapidly by the authority, uh, and the authority agreed to consent to judgment. There was no adjudication uh, on the, the legal issues by the, uh, by the court. The court uh, simply effectively stamped what had been agreed uh, by the authority as a failing um, my clients were entirely in agreement with that. Everyone uh, appreciated that there had been a failing. Um, the decision was quashed and it comes back again before you because, of course, the application is still live and, and, and here we are. But as I emphasize, 
uh, the planning merits uh, haven't altered in the meanwhile, and consistency uh, is important. Of course, uh, I appreciate that there are considerable concerns about the, the highway position, and you've heard about that uh, extensively just now. For the applicant, can I emphasize that uh, the applicant has been guided very much by the consultation responses of the County Council. There aren't any highways objections uh, raised, subject, of course, to the conditions which you know about, in particular the passing places. And, and if I may, I, I leave any further content with regard to uh, details on the highway aspects um, to the um, County Council Highways representatives if you, Sir Chair, decide that you would like to hear further from highways. There are just two other matters which I, I should refer to which were raised by Councillor Parry and they are important uh, in this context. Yes, this site uh, is outside the um, development limit as shown on the 2005 plan. But I think everyone is agreed that, of course, there is a difficulty with the 2005 plan. It is out of date vis-à-vis uh, -vis the National Planning Policy Framework. The authority, as I'm sure you will have been advised on many occasions, cannot rely on the development limits as such. You, you can, of course, if there is a significant impact on the character of the countryside as a result of a proposal, but you can't rely on the limits simply because they are there in the 2005 plan. The test now has to be uh, whether, in fact, any real ascertainable harm will arise, any demonstrable harm will arise from a development beyond the uh, development limits. And, of course, in particular, one has to have concern to issues of sustainability. That is the basis upon which your officers previously recommended and you accepted that planning permission should be granted for this site. You have it, of course, in front of you uh, on screen. You, you all know what the uh, topography <coughs> Uh, is uh, it was all pointed out to you uh, by the officer uh, in her uh, very accurate um, summary uh, of the of the merits. Uh, you've got the academy on the one side. You've got the um, nursery buildings on the other side. Effectively, what one has here is an indent. Uh, in the edge of the settlement and what's being proposed is that that should be filled in. There isn't any um, real impact on the countryside as a result. So i just make that point with regard to village development limits. Another point of importance that was raised by Councillor Parry was the question of five years supply, five years housing land supply. Shortly put, you cannot rely on the fact that there is a five years of housing land supply um, to turn away a proposal for residential development. That simply is not the position now. There is nothing in the National Planning Policy Framework which entitles one to do that. And there is a sequence of recent appeal decisions which have been widely reported which demonstrate that just because there was a five-year supply, that is not in itself a reason to turn away this type of proposal on the edge of a settlement. I thought it would be helpful for you to have that uh, clarified. And then just a final point with regard to education. Uh, of course, uh, if you are minded to accept the recommendation, it is a recommendation uh, in, in principle. This is all subject to a planning obligation, and there is provision, of course, uh, in the suggested planning obligation uh, for an education contribution. So that will be taken care of. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Dagg. <coughs> right, members, uh, any questions of officers? No. Okay. Uh, uh, Councillor Mills. Uh, thanks, Mr. Chairman. Um, I'd just like to clarify that we're talking about 40% affordable on this scheme. 
Yes, yes so it's in the papers. Although they're not indicated on the plan at this stage because it's outline only, is that correct? <coughs> okay. Why can't we put a footpath right the way along the front? I mean, if one of the issues is the width of the road, and it's a site that's got a low density like this, I mean, as we said earlier, it's, uh, what, two, two hectares, so it's uh, four and a half acres, and we're only talking about sort of 15 houses, so we're, we're at about a third of an acre per plot. I don't see any reason why we can't put a footpath right the way along the full length of this. The site itself is 1.6 hectares. Right. Um, in terms of the site itself, um, as you saw on site, there's a thick hedging all the way Yep. through here. Um, Can't we put it inside that? It could come through as part of the reserve matters. Okay. Well, in that case, then, I don't, you know, that alleviates part of the issues raised by certain members of the public and everything else. Um, I'm not saying it's a, a great solution, but it goes some way towards uh, solving things. So, uh, yes, thank you very much. That, uh, I'll, I'll come to you in a moment, Councillor Hicks. Uh, Mr Taylor just informed me that that footpath suggestion, that would have to be a condition on an outline consent. It would not be uh, at the whim of the developer to come forward with it as a, a detailed matter. It would have to be something we would have to condition. So, uh, Councillor Hicks. So, sorry, I'll come back to you, Councillor Mills. Uh, thank you, Chairman. I, I uh, think that since this um, application came before this committee once before and has been approved, uh, it was found to be faulty in one respect, and one report was short. That uh, um, omission has been remedied, and that report has been re obtained and found to be not, uh, uh, not affecting the issues at all. So um, I would like to propose um, that this proposal should be accepted. Thank you, uh, Councillor Hicks. Does that find a seconder? Uh, Councillor Chambers seconds that. Thank you. Um, th yes, I was going to say that, but um, uh, taking up the point that Councillor Mills made, uh, would you be happy to see a condition added that um, would be the detailed uh, applications would need to include a footpath running the length of the frontage of the site um, within the site boundary? Um, and, and clear of any uh, line of ownership of any particular property. As far as I'm concerned, except the board chairman, yes, and it's an Thank you. And Councillor Chambers, you're okay with that. Uh, Councillor Mills, you wanted to come back. No, that's fine. I mean, if we can condition that, then uh, I would be in favour of supporting the application. Yep. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, this is an outline application, and it's 1.6 hectares, and I think a density of 30 houses per hectare is not uncommon. Um, correct me on that if I'm wrong, but basically outline applications really simply establish the principle of building some houses on a site, as we all know. Uh, and I would not at all be surprised to find whoever owns this land, if this is granted, to come back with a much higher density, many more houses on this site, because that's the nature of it. There's nothing we can do to stop that happening. But what does concern me is that it is basically a by-road, it's a country lane uh, with no signs of improvement and it also concerns me that actually the way we've ended up is that the highways department doesn't find this in any way a problem. It's just fine as far as they're concerned, which I'm sure they follow their own rules, but it, it doesn't seem to follow common sense very well. So I, I'm concerned that it's almost a try-on by whoever owns this land to get consent to build lots of houses 
down a country lane. Um, and if you get away with it, fine. If you don't, well, try something else. I would find it very hard to support this application, Chairman. I'm going to ask uh, Councillor, uh, Councillor Frame, I'm going to ask Mr Taylor to comment on something you just said. Okay. Um, thank you, Chairman. I, I just wanted to make clear this is now an application for the erection of 15 dwellings. So that you are, this proposal um, is to accept the principle of 15 dwellings, not any more than that. That's, that's what's being asked in this application. That's the recommendation. That's the proposal that you've now got on the table. So if somebody wanted to come back with 20 dwellings, the principle is not established. You know, because the principle of 15 dwellings is what's on the table and is what's now being proposed. So it is a different situation. So we've just got to be very clear about that. Yeah. Okay, fine. Thank you. Um, <coughs> well, hang on. <laughs> First floor, ladies and gentlemen. It struck me before I had a sinking feeling that if we are looking at uh, improving the footpath situation across the site there, we should also be considering um, asking for a contribution to improve the public footpath that leads down to Berrywater Lane. Um, I wouldn't think that's um, an unreasonable request, seeing that um, that footpath, which has been uh, addressed by some of our speakers as being not really um, ideally suitable for some parts of the year, um, that it's not unreasonable that we could ask a developer to um, make a contribution towards upgrading that. That fits in very well with a, a policy that um, was being pursued and is going to be pursued of making public footpaths throughout the district uh, walkable at all times of year for the general health and well-being of our residents. So I'm going to add that as uh, a condition if that's uh, suitable from the... Yeah. Okay, it's, sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm corrected. It would need to be part of the Section 106 agreement. So um, with your agreement, proposal and seconder, I would like to include that within the Section 106. I could do that from here, I didn't realise, sorry. Who <laughs> was it? You did a proposal, weren't you, Councillor Hicks? Yes, Chairman, it was my proposal. Uh, that... I, I'm in agreement, provided we're, we're not uh, prejudicing the uh, viability of the uh, development. I don't it... think so. All right. No. I, I, this is my best guess, um, because you know, we haven't got a detailed planning application. This is outlined. So the cost of the, the scheme has not arrived that in total yet. Right. Chairman, for us to be able to... For us, for you to be able to add a requirement to the section 106, it needs to be specified at this stage. Um, so, um, you know, within the legal agreement, there will be a figure, uh, an actual figure. Um, it, it can't be conditioned. It's not within the ownership of the, the developer. So, we wouldn't. It, I can't see that it's unreasonable to ask for a contribution, seeing as we're, we're linking or the development is proposing to link and use this footpath you know, to access the, the secondary school and other facilities. I wouldn't have thought it would be much more than five or 10,000 probably to do some sort of hard surface hogging sort of you know, mm, surface yeah. in relation to that actually, um, which I would have thought would be relatively easy to do, but it would need to be secured at this stage in a, in a detail yes. in relation to, to okay. that. Okay, so I'll, I'll propose 10,000 pounds then. Thank you. Is that right, Councillor Hicks? Yes. Yeah. 
Got to get your opinion. You. I, I, I agree to almost anything, Chairman. It seems. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Right. Let's be clear then. We have a proposal for approval, seconded and uh, proposed and seconded, with the inclusion of a condition that. Um, footpath facility is incorporated in the final design along the White Ditch Lane frontage to the satisfaction of us when it comes to us and uh, a contribution is sought via the section 106 agreement for £10,000 towards the uh, improvement of the public footpath from where it adjoins the estate linkage down towards School Lane not School Lane, Berry Water Lane Yes? Fine. Okay, all those in favour, please show. One, two, three, four, five, five. And against? One, two. And abstention? One. Fine. So that matter then is approved subject to those amendments. Thank you. The next application is item 4.4. Uh, application UTT 152460. Uh, another outline application in Newport and Mr Theobald you'll take us through please Thank you Chair Members saw the site this morning as well as the adjacent site and hopefully they've got a, a reasonable understanding of what the site characteristics are the um, uh, constraints uh, which are of, uh, of this site and also the opportunities. Um, just a few points of housekeeping, if I may, on the report. Uh, first of all, on condition eight, as recommended on the report in the agenda, uh, there isn't, in fact, a reason for that condition, as that may have been picked up. Uh, the, the reason should reflect the requirement for some kind of uh, surface water strategy to be um, in place for this scheme if to be approved because of the, uh, the slope in the site as members saw. So uh, just to read out the reason that should go with that, it should be reason to prevent surface water from the development flowing onto the adjacent highway and to reduce the incidence of flooding in accordance with uh, policies Gen 1 and Gen 3 of the local plan. Also, condition seven, whilst that appears as a condition to do with the public's uh, right of way over public footpath number four, uh, that should in fact go into an informative on the uh, permission if permission is granted. And on condition five, which relates to the width of the access. Um, the condition as it reads doesn't make reference to the depth by which the access should be at the extended width of 5.5 metres uh, and I've got an update uh, condition from County Highways received and if I just read it out just so there's no uh, misunderstanding at all to this is a wording to clarify the highways authority requirement for the access it should be a minimum of 5.5 metres width for the first 7.5 metres with a 1.8 metre minimum wide footway on the eastern side over which public footpath number four will run 
which will keep it on its definitive path. This can be accommodated within the red line area as shown on the submitted drawing number one. So the, uh, the actual wording of the condition, uh, Chairman, uh, reflects that uh, and it's uh, the, the same reason for that condition. So that's the housekeeping. In case members want to know the, the density for this scheme, uh, I didn't mention it this morning, hadn't calculated it, but I've done so since. And the density for this site, uh, for this uh, 0.27 uh, hectare site is 25.9, call it 26 dwellings per hectare. So this is the site. Uh, you will see that it's for seven dwellings with the footway coming up to the top. Uh, you have seen also the uh, design and appearance. I should stress that this application is establishing the principle of development on this site as well as access which has been nominated for outline consideration, matters of uh, scale, layout, appearance and landscaping don't fall to be considered with this application. They fall to be considered as reserved matters, so that's important to stress. You will see it's of the Essex Design Guide style. Uh, the, it's a two-storey uh, form. Just the other one, that's just representing individual house types. Now, I'll just read the the summary of my report which summarises the officer's conclusions. The proposed development by reason of its location would represent a presumption in favour of sustainable development and would not be harmful to the countryside given its close proximity to adjacent properties running along Berrywater Lane. And I should also add the school. It would also make more efficient use of the land for housing purposes. The site is not land prone to flooding, although it is considered that any reserve matters application should be accompanied by a substrange. I've mentioned that. The quantum of development is considered acceptable, where the proposal would in effect only represent a net gain of six dwellings on the site, given that the proposal would involve the demolition of the existing dwelling. Access arrangements at the site have been found to be satisfactory, where highways have confirmed that the adjacent public footpath will be able to be maintained. The Council is unable through this current application to be able to challenge the applicant on land ownership rights, although the Parish Council comments in the representations have been noted. The indicative more traditional design for this revised housing scheme would be acceptable for this site subject to matters of scale layout, appearance and landscaping being negotiated at reserve matter stage to minimise the visual impact of the development upon the surrounding area and upon adjacent residential amenity. And lastly, uh, the proposal would not have a harmful impact upon protected species based upon the ecology report submitted by the applicant, which confirms that. Uh, and the recommendation, Chairman, is for <coughs> approval. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Theobald. Uh, we have speakers on this application, the first of whom is District Councillor Parry. Five minutes, uh, Councillor Parry. Hello again. 
In March 2015, an application for 10 houses on this site was refused. One of the grounds for refusal was that the proposed illustrative drawing showing 10 townhouses comprising two and three and a half storey residential buildings would not be compatible with the character of the area and its immediate built environment in terms of the siting, form, scale and appearance of the dwellings, contrary to policies Gen 2 and H3. Although the scale and number of these houses have been reduced, these grounds Gen 2 and H3 still apply. At the north end of this development, the houses, which are on higher ground, would be on plain view on the skyline, with no screening possible. The only other building doing this in Newport is the church tower. This also contravenes UDC policy C2, which states development must maintain panoramic views of plateau and uplands. Large vehicles, such as bin lorries, would need to reverse back down the access road and back out onto Berry Water Lane. This is a significant road safety hazard. There's not enough room for this manoeuvre and poor visibility in terms of pedestrians and vehicle movements on Bury Water Lane. If it's not intended that a bin lorry would use this access road, then the bins of the seven houses must all be brought down to Bury Water Lane. Where exactly will these seven large and seven small bins stand? Car parking is tandem. This is not realistic given such a narrow access road and the necessary manoeuvring required to move cars around. Leaving vehicles on Bury Water Lane is not acceptable as existing residents with no off-road parking leave their vehicles part on the road, part on the footway. Please will the committee consider whether this restricted arrangement meets the UDC parking standards. UDC policy requires that developments are suitable for the surrounding roads and do not compromise safety. School buses are parked in Berry Water Lane for most of the afternoon, effectively, effectively rendering it a one-way street. Because cars are already parked along the road, the buses frequently park across the entrance to Willow Vale and to Red Bank. This is a poor place to put another housing development. Thank you. Thank you, Councillor Perry. Uh, Councillor Hargreaves, you are our next speaker, and you too have five minutes. Thank you. Thank you. This application is too many houses seeking access along a strip which is too narrow. It would exit onto a lane which has serious congestion at peak times. And that congestion is going to get much worse because well over 100 houses have been given permission further up Berrywater Lane and along White Ditch Lane, uh, add another 15 from the previous application. The applicant's access document shows vehicles coming out of this uh, development going in a completely straight line out to Berrywater Lane. No deviation left or right. Now that is complete nonsense. Vehicles accessing Red Bank already splay across the pavement and across the neighbour's driveway. The applicant's diagram even highlights the dropped curb in front of the neighbour, that's uh, South View, as part of their proposed access, thus confirming the reality. The neighbour now feels that with seven houses, they will have no option to, to, but to prevent overrunning of their driveway. Now the applicant 
has responded to this by claiming that the neighbour does not own their frontage, which of course reveals that they do wish to drive over it, otherwise they'd keep silent. Um, the applicant refers to the current land reg registry plan to claim that an orphan strip exists in front of the property. Uh, the land registry have actually used a much enlarged OS map, which is incorrect. It, it very significantly understates the width of the lane. It doesn't show the pavement and it doesn't even show the garage. When you correct for that, uh, you show, uh, of course, what you'd expect, that the ownership goes down to the bottom. And um, the fact that the applicant's own access statement uses a much more detailed plan and that actually has the bit in front of the garage marked as a driveway, no sign of any orphan strip and I've also got a conveyance from an earlier period showing all the plots along there going right down to the edge of the road. So the neighbours have the right to stop vehicles cutting across their driveway that they own and they maintain. Why am I telling you all this? The key issue is that this makes access to the site very difficult from the west, pretty much impossible for larger vehicles. Uh, the houses opposite have no off-street parking uh, and therefore park on the lane. Um, you would have seen this morning when the traffic is light, but uh, vehicles are often parked opposite all the time. And um, this, of course, is not shown on the applicant's access diagram. They show it as it's been photographed there, um, completely open. That's not the reality. Um, and I can't see how uh, large vans and vehicles could get in and out in a, in a reasonable fashion. Um, so my request um, to the committee, therefore, is to ask that a proper review of access onto Berrywater Lane is carried out and no permission is given until that is done. And this needs to include the siting of the wheelie bins for collection. Or alternatively, if the lorry's got to go up there, the access to the bin lorry, which weighs 32 tonnes and is famous for its destructive powers. And also a review of what it's like at school times when it is quite literally it's a wall of buses across there. They regularly block access to every property along the north of Berrywater Lane. Just an aside on bin lorries, I was in the plough in Chesterford last week and while I was there the bin lorry took the corner off the pub, coming out of the pub. The reason it did that was because a car was parked on Chesterford High Street on the other side of the road, it couldn't get round properly and it did the damage. Uh, it's the same position except Berrywater Lane is narrower than Chesterford High Street. It's a classic example. Um, another matter, I asked in September for confirmation uh, of how far in the 5.5 metre widened section is required. Uh, Highways only responded to the UDC just this week, too late to be reviewed in detail, saying it's 7.5 metres in. What they didn't say in their document is where that 7.5 metres starts. If, it from, if it's from the road edge, that means very little widening at all. It means larger vehicles clashing on the access would then be reversing out across the pavement. Now, common sense says the footway is sacrosanct. It was installed um, six years ago to, um, for the safety of the students. So the seven and a half metres should start from the inside of the footway. But unless stated in writing, that's an unenforceable condition. 
So finally, um, the neighbours I talked to on Monday are just devastated by this and they're most worried that UDC will give permission and then leave them to do the access enforcement and forever push people's wheelie bins out of the way. So please turn this down or at least have the access reconsidered. Thank you. Thank you to Councillor Hargreaves. Our next speaker is an objector, Charles Byford. Thank you. My name is Charles Byford. I inherited Red Bank from my father, William Byford, when he died there in September 2007. And I sold it to the applicants, Mr and Mrs Civil, in July 2008. I'd like to draw the committee's attention to one important fact that is missing from all the papers submitted with the application, namely that the Civils do not own all the land to provide the required site access. The site was owned by my family for 70 years. It was first bought by my grandmother, Elizabeth Rose Byford, in July 1938. And she ran it as a sand pit for several years and gave it to my father as a wedding present in April 1951. He built the house that's now called Red Bank there, and that's where I grew up. At that time, the land to the east of the site was owned by Newport Grammar School, and the area adjoining Red Bank they let out as allotments. The public footpath ran on the school land between the allotments and Red Bank. In those days, the southeast boundary of the site was not the wide grassy bank that you see today, but a rough hedge of bushes and weeds. Though I now live in Kent, I still care deeply about Newport and visit it several times a year to see my aunts, uncles and cousins. I think I'm correct in saying that none of Mr Civil's neighbours have welcomed his plan to build seven townhouses there, and I too am utterly horrified by it for all the reasons that you already heard. However, I won't repeat them and will focus on the issue of access. Before I sold Red Bank, I took copies of all the documents associated with it, and both the 1938 conveyance to the site of the site to my grandmother in 19 and, and a deed of gift from her to my father in 1951 contained plans of the site with several measurements showing. Both these plans show that the access to the site from Berrywater Lane is only 13 feet 3 inches wide. This equates to just over 4 metres and is so, so is 1.5 metres short of the required access of 5.5 metres. And I think copies of these plans have been given to the committee by the Newport Parish Council. I would simply like to say that if you do grant outline planning permission, you're surely creating a very valuable ransom strip one and a half metres wide to the east of Red Bank. I assume this strip is still owned by the school, now called Joyce Franklin Academy. And I would alert any councillors to a potential conflict of interest if they have any links with the Joyce Franklin Academy. And also I wish the, f the point of ownership to be made clear so that the grassy bank doesn't get taken by default. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Byford. Uh, our next objector is uh, Peter Arscott. And again, you have three minutes, Mr. Arscott. Yeah. Well, yes, um, I don't live far away from this again, as you probably gather. Um, I know this is only a, a, a sketchy 
probably call it a sketch layout really and I've just got a question here of how the dust cart would ever get in there with the cars parked outside the cottages knowing the width of the road which is only five meters perhaps Claire Jenkins can tell me what a road should be if it was a new road to be built and the surface water drain will obviously if you saw in, a, in Clement weather the wash that comes down from Red Bank and goes across the pavement is quite considerable so I don't know how they're going to um, sort out the surface water drainage uh, whether they're going to put geo cells under the ground I, I'm not too sure but that's, that's something that uh, needs to be looked at um, you may scoff at this but uh, I th suggest that there is no site traffic or anything happening between 1.30 and 4 o'clock and you, I can see you frowning and thinking why? well I only hope nobody has a heart attack nobody has a fire or whatever because how the emergency vehicles are going to get through I do not know and yet Essex County Council in their infinite wisdom have no objection to this particular pro proposal I think I've said enough about that but you know you're not really applying common sense here and then further down the road when these people lift this site and go towards the grammar school past the grammar school entrance again what have they got? no footpath and then on the B1383 again footpath left to the bridge poorly maintained by the grammar school all their soils falling across it on the right hand side the footpath in front of the grammar school the width of the door 762 millimetres totally unsatisfactory and again you've really got to get to grips with this infrastructure and I'd like Claire Jenkins just to tell me what a new road would be if, if it had to be a new road what width it should be put in at because I've measured it this morning at five metres the existing one thank you thank you Mr Harcourt um, and the last speaker is the agent uh, Mr Dagg and again Mr Dagg you are entitled to six minutes thank you thank you very much sir uh, Mr Theobald has put forward a, a full report. I'm not proposing, of course, to repeat points that he's made already. Just a point of emphasis. Um, you and members, of course, will be very well aware of the location of this site. Um, the site is dominated by the large academy buildings uh, adjacent. And with regard to the point that Councillor Parry made about the townscape fit, of what was proposed here, bearing in mind of course this is an outline proposal, the plans of course are illustrative uh, and not I emphasise uh, illustrating uh, townhouses, they are Essex design uh, style houses that are indicated on the illustrative plans. Um, one needs to bear in mind the, the domination of the, the site by the adjoining academy buildings when you're judging how housing on this site would, uh, uh, would fit with the surroundings. Uh, again, as I'm sure members are aware from the site uh, inspection, um, on the other side, the side away from the uh, academy, uh, of course the topography is really very unusual. There is a very large former um, pit there uh, with a, a house uh, in it but standing at a completely different level a much lower level than the Red Bank site so I just make those points by way of uh, emphasis uh, in my submission it is very much um, a sustainable site uh, it is very convenient for uh, local services and in my submission residential development of this site 
um, would, uh, would be a, a very good general fit um, with the surrounding uh, development. Just uh, two points with regard to the land ownership aspects that have been mentioned. Uh, Councillor Hargreaves uh, mentioned this, and of course uh, Mr Charles Byford has made extensive uh, mention of the, the land ownership position. The, the response that I'd give on behalf of the applicant is that, of course, as you uh, are all very, very well aware, um, any disagreements that there might be about land ownership are not matters for the committee. Um, there could be, in due course, we obviously hope that there will not be, but there could be a dispute with regard to the precise boundary lines. All that I can say to the committee on behalf of the applicant at this stage is that the boundaries to this site have been carefully checked for the purposes of the application. The applicant stands by the certificate that accompanied the application, the Certificate A. Uh, the position on the ground has been checked against what one can see on the face of the land registry documentation. That's the best that one can do. Of course one accepts that the boundaries that are shown on the face of the land register are general boundaries, they are capable of detailed uh, argument, but the best that we can do at the moment is to say that um, what uh, is shown on the face of the land registry tallies with what one can see on the ground. And it, it does appear that unfortunately it may well be that there's been some encroachment on the highway by the present um, owners and occupiers of uh, Southview who are objectors as far as this proposal is concerned. You've seen the position in the uh, photographs. Uh, our position is that it's not at all clear that the South View uh, occupiers and owners are entitled to object in the way that they do because we doubt whether in fact they've got the ownership of the forecourt to their garage right down to the back of the footway as they maintain. But those are matters for possible uh, future dispute between landowners. They're not matters of course for adjudication so far as this committee is concerned. With regard to the, the wider uh, highway aspects, again, of course, I'd have to defer to the highway, aspect, uh, the highway experts who are present here with regard to comment on that, but I do just emphasise that um, the, the matter of uh, highway access to this site has been looked at extensively over the course of the last uh, 18 months. This is the second application that has come forward. The first application, as you receive from the report, of course, was perfectly understandably turned away for overdevelopment. This is a reduced scheme, an entirely different style, and, and I would submit it's entirely acceptable. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Tagg. Right, uh, members, uh, questions of the officers? Councillor Lachlan. Thank you. Sorry? All right. Um, yeah, I'm still... Oh. <laughs> that was deliberate, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm quite concerned. I still think this site is overcrowded. I did notice uh, on the officer's report that the garden sizes uh, aren't uh, up to the um, required standard in the Essex Design Guide, um, which is, as you know, for um, three and four bedrooms and over, is 100 metres. Could you tell me the size of the gardens, please?
have to bear in mind, uh, Councillor Lachlan, this is only indicative. I know. Well, that, so that's why I'm, I'm being easy on you. <laughs> oh, we'll get on your wrong side. <laughs> only joking. No, yes, I do realise it's outlined, so I'm just, I yes. think we need to sort these things out before they become oh, indicative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I knew this question was coming up. So oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they do range between 85 and 90 um, square metres, so obviously for a, a four-bedroomed and possibly three-bedroomed as well, uh, they are slightly understandard, so I would say that here and now. So um, they aren't up to standard, basically? So not... Yes. They might only be slight, but that's like saying I've only got a small headache when you still got a headache, isn't it? So yeah, as, as shown yeah. as an indicative drawing for this particular layout. So it could change, obviously, in terms of the layout. Well, exactly. Well, that's what I'm hoping that we might be able to achieve because I still do think it's uh, overcrowded. And the National Planning Policy Framework does say that permission should be refused for development of poor design that fails to take the opportunities available for improving the character and quality of an area and the way it functions. And I actually, at, at this outline planning permission stage, don't think it actually does. I think, it's, I think it could be better designed. Um, it isn't in keeping with what's around it or in the area. And I think we, like they say, would say at the school, could do better. Thank you. Sorry, I should have said it's in contrary to policy H3. Thank you. Uh, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Uh, I have a problem with this proposal, this application, because I just think it's overdevelopment. Uh, they've shoehorned the maximum number of quite large houses into a very uh, challenging piece of land. Um, I feel that something like four or five would be a much better number, and I think the two at the far end, the extreme north of that site, uh, since it's rising land, would be quite obvious to everybody from outside of the site. Uh, they're, yes, they're actually higher than the <coughs> not exactly attractive buildings of the school itself. So I also have a, a, a parking is not just tandem parking, it's triple parking, uh, which is absurd. It simply means that people aren't going to use it. They're going to park someplace else, but of course it's very inconvenient to have to move two vehicles to bring out the third. And I'm seriously concerned that bins... Uh, will cause all sorts of trouble. There's no way, in my view, that a bin lorry is going to reverse down that track. Um, very unlikely. And there's increasing pressure on bin lorries for all the development going on around here. Uh, they're cutting down their rounds all the time. So they'll expect the bins to be, the wheelie bins to be at the entrance to Berrywater Lane, whatever it is. Uh, and then, of course, they'll have to be trundled back again that's a long way, it's a big ask. So I think it's overdevelopment. I think seven houses is too, too many for this site, Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Freeman. Any other comments? Um, I don't know. Was that a proposal for refusal? I'm happy to make it a proposal for refusal. Fine, thank you. And the reason being uh, we need a policy to attach to that. I'm not an expert on policies. No, Does, it find this than me. Does it find a seconder? Thank you. Your seconder might be able to help you with policies. H3. And Gen 2. 
Chairman, I really don't think that H3 is appropriate. Gen 2 certainly is. Gen, well, yeah, well, I did kind H, of toy with that. H3 is about development within development limit, or, you know, proposed houses within development limits, which this is, but it, it, the discussion you've had is in relation to, well, you said slightly different points, but is in relation to um, Gen 2 design, um, thank you, in relation to um, overdevelopment and out of character with the area. That's, that's, really, that's what you were saying as a proposer. There were discussions about, uh, and that covers... That would cover the issues in relation to parking, which you can't draw. It's an indicative layout, and the same with the garden sizes. So, it, you know, that it could change. But in terms of those points, that, that that's covered within that argument. The, the concerns about the garden garden sizes and the size of the dwellings you mentioned and the parking spaces it leads to your assessment that it's overdevelopment. I would suggest. But, but, chairman, if we consent seven houses, seven houses will be built and they will be built with parking and looking at that site it's very difficult to imagine how you can do anything very different to what they've got there if you're going to build seven houses on it you can build smaller houses I think that's unlikely given experience in development so I think a smaller number of houses is the only solution Fine, thank you we have uh, that proposal in the seconder um, Sorry, can we? Yes yeah, well, just going back to H3, it says avoid development which makes inefficient uh, use of land. Is that, uh, isn't it inefficient when you haven't got the correct size gardens? Mm. I think the and argument would be it probably makes parking, more sufficient use of the land. I think that the sufficient use is that it's not too low density. That's, that's the phrase in which Is that the way you're interpreting it? But your argument is that it's too <coughs> intensive use, isn't it? So it, it's making a, a I can't what you said now, but a more more intensive use of the land than you're seeking to achieve. Well, so yeah, I, yeah, I know. What policy. I was trying to say was it it is because you'd get you wouldn't if the gardens were better and you didn't have the tandem parking, especially with three. It would be a better use. I suppose that's what I was trying to say. Not that you could cram a hundred in there. I know what no, I mean. No, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying, but I think that's the opposite to H3. I think okay, I, I, let it go. I think, it, I think it's, a, it's a Gen 2 issue in relation okay. to the design and, and layout that you're trying gen to get two. to. Yeah, okay, Gen 2. Okay, we've got a proposal. We've had a seconder for refusal. Um, I'm just mindful of the fact if we're going to refuse this, and I'm not guiding anybody, Janice, um, that this situation of exit onto Berrywater Lane exists all the way along there. It's no different. If something happens here, this problem will exist. It has been addressed. It has been looked at by highways. We can't change the width of Berrywater Lane. We know what a road width should be, so I'm not going to ask Claire to say that because we know what it should be, but you can't change it. You'd have to uh, cope with it. There was no definitive drawing for the exit profile, the entrance and exit profile. I think if an application comes back, if we do refuse this one, it would need to come back with something a little bit more uh, definitive. Um, and if it's going to come back, that would give an opportunity for those things that are not our concerns to be um, investigated perhaps more fully and allow that definition to come forward. So having said that, we're going to go to the vote on uh, refusing this application. So all those in favour, please show. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, tw
And against? Refusal? Two. Two. Thank you. So the matter is refused. Thank you. Our next item is item 4.5, application UTT 152160. It's an application for full planning consent in Newport. And uh, Mr Alana, you'll take us through, please. Thank you, Chair. Good afternoon, councillors. The application before you is uh, an old, used to be an old police station which is currently vacant and it has been vacant for a very long time. In land use terms, it is described as a brownfield site. Equally, it is within a um, development limit in terms of policy. The applicant is proposing to demolish the existing building you saw on site today in order to propose four self-contained flats comprising of two beds respectively. This application has been revised because initially small, the applicant intended putting up to seven uh, residential flats and I felt that is an overdevelopment of the site which enabled us to negotiate a scheme in front of you today up to four self-contained flats. As I said, the scheme the area is characterized by different variation of uh, buildings in terms of height, mass, and design approach. The scheme before you will mirror the, the features of the nearby building, and in terms of height, in your officer's opinion, it's not going to spoil the character of the area, taking into consideration what we saw on site today, that the area is characterized by different heights of buildings. In terms of amenity, the application will not lead to an impact or overlooking, as we saw on site today. Part of the elevation has been conditioned wherever it's appropriate to put an obscured glazing. Furthermore, there are sufficient amenity car parking spaces which I've already shown earlier on. If I could take members to this particular layout. Here, I was able to negotiate at least a minimum of 24.4 square meters of amenity space serving each residential flat. In terms of parking, we have sufficient uh, amenity space here for maneuvering. Overall, this application is not subject to Section 106 as I've already outlined in my supplementary report because the application was submitted uh, before the council published the new uh, contribution guideline. So I've already advised members not to take note of that particular implication. Overall, this application is recommended for approval subject to the appropriate condition attached before you, including the supplementary uh, uh, report. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Alana. And our first, I'm correct? No, you don't want to speak, Councillor Hargreaves, Councillor Perry. You're not wanting to speak, no, fine, thank you. Um, and it's an objector, Eleanor Burrows. Thank you. 
Do you have three minutes? Thank you. Um, I live to the north of the site. Um, this property has been vacant for a very long time, so I absolutely welcome that somebody's doing something with it. However, the development must be in keeping with the neighbouring properties. What we have around us are all modest family house, houses, and the design of this is significantly bigger than anything else. Where the land drops to wa away at the rear, it's I'm going to be somewhat taller than two storeys. Um, this is also far deeper than all of the surrounding buildings. It's only going to be three metres from our house wall and it's eight metres deeper than our current property at first floor level. The effect of this will be the rear of our property and other neighbouring properties are going to suffer a huge loss of light and a third of our garden is going to be in shadow for the majority of the day because the sun rises to the side of the building. The parking to the front of the dwelling is tandem parking, which is going to mean swapping over of cars and reversing down the side of the new building. The existing access to the side of the old police station is four and a half metres wide. The proposal is three metres and I have severe concerns that we will have some collision with our building at some point. Also, that is the only pedestrian access to the front of the site, so if anybody is coming up the side of the building from the rear parking, when somebody is reversing around the side, that can cause safety difficulties. Small adjustments to these plans, such as decreasing the depth and the width by a metre or so, would have a huge beneficial impact on the neighbouring properties, and it would mean that perhaps a further parking space could go down the rear, so there's not so, so much tandem parking. Um, so whilst I support the development of the site, I believe the current plans are simply too large in scale and should be refused. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs Burrows. Uh, our next speaker is Peter Alscott. And you have three minutes, Mr. Ascot. You want to clock me for time? Um, this is the latest set of plans we've got. Uh, at the front, well, we've had various sets of plans and we've had difficulty sorting them out because we don't see revisions noted very carefully. But at the front here, I notice. If that's a three metre wide access down the side, we should have three metres behind this car space, or six metres behind this car space to get out. So that means they've got to shunt forward a bit. I mean, there's not enough room. Also, where, is the, where are the um, bins going to go? There's four flats here, 12 bins. No bins shown at all. And very unusually, first floor windows to be obscured. So when you're standing up and we want to look out the back, you've got to go like that to see any vision down the garden. Now, I understand why, that they don't want to look in next door's garden, but it's the first time I've ever come across something like this, that you've got obscure glass up to 1.5 and you've got a pier over the top to look out. Um, also here, we've got a lay-by at the front. When you went to the site this morning, you know, no, had no vehicles parked in the front lay-by. But if you pull your car up there and want to look uh, south, the, vis the visibility is lost. And Essex Highway would say, no issue. I mean, it would probably be better if we filled in the um, lay-by and give this piece of land to the people in, who own this so they can sort out the parking to a better advantage. You're looking a bit strange there, Andrew. Do you understand that? Yeah. Can you, if you see where I'm coming from, dispense with the lay-by, and then the, the sight lines would go back to what they should be and give this piece of land 
to the police station. That's the only comment I've made, really, other than the comments that the parish council have made at quite length all the way through this procedure. And I'm, glad, I'm glad to see we've gone from a garage down the back with a studio flat over the top. That's disappeared. Um, it's got smaller, I must admit. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Arscott. And we now have the agent, uh, Brian Christian. And you have six minutes, Mr. Christian. Thank you. I won't need that, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Thank you for visiting the site this morning. The scheme is recommended for approval, and I ask you to support this recommendation. Observing the earlier debates, obviously the locals don't want mixed housing or even affordable housing on the edge of the village, nor do they want larger houses in the centre of the village. I was hopeful they would support this small flat scheme for local people to live close to the railway station. Clearly not. My optimism got the better of me. However, very fortunately on this site you don't need to be optimistic. Simple realism will show you the answers to the objectors' concerns are clear for all to see. As members saw on site today, the site is a redundant brownfield commercial use site in the centre of a residential area. <coughs> the former highway police station has four large bay garage in the back and turn-in and parking facilities on-site for many cars. It was formerly used by traffic police roaring in and out of the site 24-7. We all know that. The proposed use will be less intense in terms of traffic, less harmful in terms of amenity and safer in terms of public highway safety. Objectors, as you've heard, say they can't turn turns, uh, cars around in the bays at the rear. And yet, as you saw this morning, the site has garages with ample turning space demonstrating there's no problem. Objectors are concerned about parking and turning in the frontage, as you just heard, but your member's bus turned around in the frontage today with no problems. Objectors are concerned about visitor parking. Some of your members asked about visitor parking. Well, this scheme, besides meeting Essex Highway's criteria for parking on this site, it very unusually has a large lay-by outside of it for parking of two cars. Members will have noticed the parish objectors used the lay-by this morning. So despite being happy to use it this morning, objectors point to this lay-by as being problematical. But parish members use it today with no problems. It was created by the Highway Authority. It is owned by the Highway Authority. If it was a problem, these experts would remove it. Or indeed, you could ask your colleague, Councillor Lodge, to get his county colleagues to remove it. Objectors are concerned over the height. But as members saw this morning, all the neighbouring dwellings are two and a half storey in height. This scheme is just two storey. Members will have also noticed this morning, all the surrounding ridge heights are up and down like a fiddler's elbow. This scheme maintains this irregular and yet pleasant and characteristic pattern. It's also very important to note that this committee recently approved the two houses immediately to the south of this site at a height of 500 millimetres, higher than this roof, and yet you are being urged by objectors who live in these houses not to approve a roof height, similarly only 500 millimetres higher. This scheme is on the northern side of theirs and cannot overshadow them. The objectors are also concerned over a lack of amenity space, and yet you saw this morning the site offers a very pleasant southerly aspect, and the area meets exactly your policy guidance. This space is so sunny and pleasant, with uninterrupted views to the rear, the owners have a caravan on it, as the members saw. The committee 
and the planning inspectors have approved many small dwellings down nearby Station Road with much smaller gardens than on offer here. And of course, as many of you will know, some of your members here dwell very happily in larger houses than this with smaller garden space than is on offer here. Mr Chairman, there are no overriding policy objections to this scheme. You should support this scheme. It's a sound use of a brownfield site which brings much needed smaller homes to the market and I ask you to support the recommendation. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Christian. Are members, uh, questions of officers? Councillor Lachlan? Uh, well, there was a, a question about uh, bins, so I, I'd like that answered. But uh, I, mean, I noticed the caravan, and it was full of rubbish. So if this uh, development will uh, help to remove that, then I will um, recommend approval. Second bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a proposal then for approval from Councillor Lockton, seconded by Councillor Could I have, a question, could I have we, an answer to the bins? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. But we have a question over a bin store yeah. area. Um, I'm sure one can be incorporated somewhere within this site. So um, the, it would be a roadside collection, so the bin area will be at the front, and it's communal, so um, I, I, I can't see an issue there. I don't. No, I think you were just. It's getting a long day. And well, it, no, as it was mentioned, I thought that it would be. We Absolutely. should know where that. No, box yeah, it's important, and yeah. uh, they 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 will be incorporated. Indeed, they they have to be provided. Otherwise, refuse can't get collected. Right. Um, Bins. Sorry. No. No other questions. Let's go to the vote then on this one, please. Um, all those in favour of approval, please show. Unanimous. Thank you. That matter is approved. Thank you very much. Our next item is item 4.6, which is UTT 15-2431. It's a full application at Great Eastern, and Mrs Denmark will take us through it. Thank you. Pardon? Thank you, Chairman. This application relates to a parcel of land at Radley's End in Great Eastern, so it's just off the B184. Um, this is the Jewton Hill turn in, we go off to Jewton Hill up there. Um, the application relates to a retrospective application for the construction of solar panels. Planning permission was granted under um, UTT 143212 full for the erection of solar panels. That application related to a site area of 0.2 hectares. A condition imposed on that consent required the submission of details for a vehicle turning area for the construction works. The details were submitted and approved. The applicant then constructed the panels in front of the turning area. So this is the area where the turning area was approved and so then the panels then got erected here now I should point out the original site was approximately from about there sort of a rectangular area round about that sort of size there um, the site here so the panels then ended up moving outside of the original 
um, planning application site. So the site area now is 4.6 hectares, uh, sorry, 0.46 hectares, which includes the turning area, the panels, and the area for landscaping. Um, but what it should be noted is that the area covered by solar panels is approximately the same area, size area of land as previously approved. It's just the location is different. With the construction work having been carried out, it's possible to accurately assess the impact the panels have. They've been, they are visible to the properties on the opposite side of the road here, um, but uh, there is an earth bund which is proposed and was previously approved as part of a landscaping scheme um, with landscaping to be done. Um, now the applicant has actually stopped work on site um, pending the outcome of this planning application and the representations do actually say you know, we've got no objections we're just like the landscaping done so that's, that's the objections that's come from these properties over here um, the application the, uh, the panels have been viewed from the um, uh, from the various footpaths, uh, there's footpaths to the south, and um, and as you walk along the footpath, which is on a, a ridge, it's higher ground, um, this is set down in the valley. You only get partial glimpses of the panels as you walk all the way along there, so you never ever get to see the full extent of them, um, and that's due to the existing landscaping along the river. Um, there is another footpath that runs along here somewhere, um, probably along that dotted line actually. Um, so there the panels are highly visible. Uh, this could be mitigated by the requirement to plant a new hedgerow along the boundary. Condition 1 requires the submission of details um, of boundary planting. Um, that condition does actually need to be amended to remove the words occupation of the buildings. Um, on, in line three of the second paragraph. So subject to that amendment, the application is recommended for approval as set out in the agenda. Thank you, Mrs. Denmark. Now, we don't have any speakers registered. Um, the comment I would make is that we've got solar panels. Um, we haven't got indication of um, whatever the, the, the building containing apparatus is for um, enable that electricity that's generated to be collected and transformed and then transmitted to the grid. So that needs to be cited somewhere. No, we don't have um, that, that information. Um, and I haven't been told that this site actually requires that, but I'm not quite sure how it's connecting up. So I, I don't know. I would imagine that if it did, it could well take the place of the store that's going to be removed. So I can't see that that's a particular issue from my point of view, but I'm going to throw it open to members for comment. Of which there seems to be none. Oh, Councillor Freeman, thank you. Uh, sorry, Chairman. Um, I would like to propose this for approval, uh, subject to the bund being built and any other screening uh, requirements being met, which the officers may choose to impose. You're limited with screening for solar panels for the obvious reasons. You don't want to shut out the sun. Uh, but they don't eat anything and you get used to looking at them. Uh, you know, they're actually quite good neighbours, really. So I would 
propose this for approval, Chairman. I'll second that from the Chair. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you, Councillor Hicks. Okay. Uh, if there's no further comments, can we go to the vote, please? All those in favour of approval, please show. Thank you. That matter is approved. Our next item is item 4.7, application UTT 152318. It's a an application for full planning permission at Great Dunmo and again Mrs Denmark will take us through. Thank you. Thank you. This site is located on the western side of the A120 in Great Dunmo. Um, it will actually be accessed from the Braintree Road, B1256, and um, down through Little Dunmo and then along Grange Lane. And then um, from Grange Lane, it would then take a farm access into the field and, and down into the field down here. Um, the proposal relates to the erection of um, a solar farm on Grade 3A agricultural land. The, slans, the land slopes upwards from south to north and is well screened by existing vegetation to the boundaries. The limited views of the site from the surrounding landscape, including partial views from the A120 and from the surrounding footpath network, particularly in Barnston. The site is not visible from the Flitch Way. The panels will be constructed in horizontal rows and having a maximum height of two and a half metres. There will be associated structures within the site, such as substations, communications building, transformers and storage building. The final details of these are to be approved, but the indicative layout at the moment is that the majority of the buildings will be provided here, but there will be some required throughout the site. And the indicative details are the buildings will look pretty much like this. They resemble... Um, storage containers really um, that type of thing but the final colour and locations can be agreed um, Grange Lane is a narrow single track road and forms part of a local public right of way network Concerns were raised in respect of safety of users of Grange Lane and following negotiations the applicant has agreed um, to create two temporary passing spaces uh, for the period of the construction work and two other areas where passing the vehicles can occur without the creation of additional passing bays have also been identified. So this shows Grange Lane as it comes so that, as, as you come into Grange Lane. So there will be a new temporary passing place just past the um, last property on the northern side of the lane. Then when you get down here you've got a farm access here and so there would be sufficient space for vehicles to pass here. And then further along, there'll be another passing bay constructed here. And then as you come off the Grange Lane and go towards the farm access, there would be, um, there's a, a hard sanding area there which would provide sufficient space for um, passing. It's proposed that there would be banksmen employed to control traffic along Grange Lane and um, so that would improve the safety of operations during the construction work. No objections are raised to the proposals in terms of visual impact. No consultees have objected and concerns raised in the representations have been addressed um, as confirmed in the supplementary list of representations. You'll see a, a, a comment from the objector saying that they're now satisfied. So on that basis, it's recommended that the application be approved. Thank you, Mrs. Denmark. Now we have um, a couple of speakers. No, one speaker, I do beg your pardon. 
<coughs> that's the agent, I believe, Colm Ryan. Thank you. And you have three minutes, Mr Ryan. Thank you, Mr Chairman. Good evening, members. And my name is Colm Ryan, and I'm speaking on behalf of LightSource Renewable Energy, who intend to build and operate the proposal at Bumstead Hill. As indicated by the officer's recommendation for approval, the proposals are considered to be in accordance with local and national planning policy. The proposed solar farm would make a significant contribution to the county's renewable energy generation and indeed the renewable energy targets set by the government. LightSource has provided a suite of technical documents to the council in order to examine the effects of the development upon the environment. As your officer has mentioned, further information has also been provided to address the concerns raised by one local resident during the determination of the application in the form of a revised CTMP. As your officer has mentioned, we've re resolved that those concerns now with the inclusion of traffic safety measures and temporary passing bays along Grange Lane. No objections have been received from key statutory consultees, including no objection from Environmental Health, Essex County Council Highways, Essex County Council Ecology, Highways England, the Lead Flood Local Authority, Stansted Airport. Also, the Council's Landscape Officer has no objection to the proposal, and I quote, the site is not visible from the Flitchway or indeed the Bridleway to the south of the site. The project has no objection from the host parish council, Little Dunmo. I also note the comments from Great Dunmo Town Council dated the 25th of September. I can confirm that I have attended a presentation. Um, I delivered a presentation to Great Dunmo Town Council on the 15th of October where all of their concerns were largely addressed and the feedback from that meeting was largely positive. I know I, the solar farm is designed for the lifespan of 30 to 35 years after which it will be dismantled and the site restored to agricultural use. Therefore, there will be no residual landscape or visual effect and furthermore, the site would benefit from a dual usage with sheep grazing being proposed. The proposals would provide the equivalent renewable energy to meet the average daily electrical consumption of 1,400 local households. In summary, the proposals subject to the recommended conditions are considered acceptable with regard to design and siting and all other planning material considerations. The positive contribution of the scheme to renewable energy targets and local sustainability on land that is not considered to be the best and most versatile agricultural land is considered to outweigh any limited harm that may arise as a result of the development. Also members, I'd like to make you aware of the fact that a community consultation event was held prior to submission of this application at which the majority of feedback was supportive of the scheme, including a lot of supportive comments regards to the biodiversity gain that this proposal would, would enable. I therefore respectfully ask that this com committee grants planning permission in line with the officer's recommendation for approval. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Ryan. Right, members, questions, please. Councillor. I'd like to propose approval, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councillor Chambers. Does that find a seconder? Councillor Hicks, thank you. Uh, Councillor Freeman, did you wish to speak? Very briefly to say it's a five megawatt output farm. Uh, it's a good thing to have. Um, you can keep chickens under the panels. They're perfectly satisfactory. Yeah. And 30-odd uh, years later, you get your field back. So, I mean, what's the hate? Uh, Councillor Mills. 
I've only got one comment. Um, I'm also going to support the application, but I would like to see um, dimensions on the plans. Um, the same thing that we just fell foul of on the previous application, if we know exactly where it's going, then nobody in future can raise the question that we've put it in the wrong place. And that's all I'd like to say. Thank you. Thank you. I think there are some set boundaries on that field, aren't there? Uh, Mrs Denmark? There was... The, because um, things change within, depending on who operates this, um, the final details are to be approved, and um, so there is a condition. Condition. Da, 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 da. Seven. Um, requires all the final um, locations, design, and materials of the of everything to be included on the site to be submitted and approved. In that case, that's fine, out. and I'm happy to support the application. Okay. Councillor Lachlan, you had a point to make, I think. No? Okay. All dealt with. Fine. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we'll go to the vote then, please. We have an uh, a proposal for approval. All those in favour, please show. Unanimous. Thank you. That matter is approved. Our next item is application UTT 152446. It's a householder uh, application in Felsted. And Mrs. Jones, you'll take us through. No, she, she's had to go as well. Thank you. And just for the record, Mr. Taylor's had to leave the meeting as well. Um, so Mrs. Denmark is going to step into the breach once more. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Chambers. Councillor Chambers has uh, begged leave to remove himself and he's doing so. Thank you. Right. Um, this application relates to a bungalow outside development limits in Willows Green in Felsted. It's called Pantiles and the site is here. This is a photo showing the uh, bungalow. So it's this one here. Um, the proposal, oh, and this shows you the street view, and this is the application site here. The proposal is, relates to the demolition of the existing garage and conservatory, which is here, and for the erection of, um, it's described as a two-storey side and front extension. It's actually one and a half storey because it's um, raising it to become a chalet bungalow. Um, the raising of the roof over the existing part of the house to provide first floor accommodation and the insertion of front and rear dormer windows, the erection of a front porch and the widening of the existing access. Um, revised plans were received as the original plans omitted the porch on the floor plans and they were not to scale. Right. These are the existing plans, so it shows you what's there at the moment. And this is the um, proposed plans. And this shows you the street view. Don't know quite why that's there. Um, and right, um, this shows. Uh, some photos of the area. So this one here is the application site. So there's the application site there, a neighbouring property. 
Um, this is neighbouring property to the other side. You can see that that's got dormer windows. And if you look here, there's a large dormer window <coughs> on the rear elevation uh, of a property further up the road. <coughs> Um, so this is taken from the road, I believe, um, showing the application site and neighbouring property. I'm not entirely sure where the other photo is, I'm afraid. Um, so this is the large dormer window that you could see in those earlier photos. Um, and this is from the neighbouring property looking towards the site. So the extension would come across here and down there. Um, and you can note here on the neighbouring property, this is, um, there is a door in there, but um, there's no habitable windows in that elevation there, on that part of the elevation. Um, this is from the rear, showing next door neighbour. Um, so, as you can see from the car here, um, this part of the neighbouring bungalow is recessed a bit and the extension would come along here. Um, uh, that's the existing views from Ashley's, which is the neighbours um, looking to the east and the view to the west. Um, I believe that's the rear elevation of the application site. So it gives you some idea of what's going on up and down there. Um, proposals considered to be of acceptable design and scale and would not be materially detrimental to the character of the area. The proposal would not result in any material detrimental impact on neighbours, amenity, adequate parking and amenity space can be provided for the size of the dwelling and the proposal is therefore recommended for approval. Thank you, Mr Denmark. And we have... Uh some speakers on this application and the first is on objector James Anal. and you have three minutes thank you uh, good afternoon everyone my name is James Annal from smart planning and I'm here to represent the owners of the neighboring property at Ashley in all honesty, I'm having trouble understanding the conclusion of the case officer. When I first saw this proposal a couple of months ago, I immediately saw a variety of very troubling aspects of the design. The sheer scale and harsh nature of the design will mean that the proposal will absolutely dominate the skyline for this area. Pantiles is situated in a prominent position at the top ridge of Terre Valley. This means that the proposed property will be highly visible from the outside of the village as you approach from the countryside along Main Road and Mole Hill Green Road. Currently the streetscape consists of similar bungalows, notwithstanding a few which have small dormer windows and that larger one that you showed earlier, but I don't think that's something we should really be copying. Um, in addition, this street includes a grade two listed building in close proximity to Pantiles. The proposed extension to the front of Pantiles is being used to help vault a completely incongruous gable-ended roof over the property. This creates a building span of over 11 meters or 36 feet which is far in excess of traditional building spans, far in excess of neighbouring building spans, and far in excess of those typically described in the Essex Design Guide. This results in a ridge height of over 7 metres, or 23 feet, which is also out of context with comparison to the neighbourhood. There is also the inclusion of generous dormer windows, which seem to be in contradiction to the Essex Design Guide, which states that dormers should be primarily used to provide light, and not as a means to gain extra headroom. In terms of the neighbouring properties, the west elevation is entirely blank 
And as I said earlier, the ridge height is over seven meters. With the nature of this extension being to the front of pan tiles and differing setbacks of the street, this will result in offer, this will, may result in the overshadowing of the windows to the property known as Ashley. This would seem to contravene policies Gen 2 design and H8 home extensions of the Uttlesford local plan. What this application amounts to is a highly ambitious attempt to vastly increase the amount of floor space at this property, with the result that this new building will visually loom over the northern boundary of Willows Green. I suppose it's perfectly understandable. I'm sure we've all wished we had our own space for a gym or maybe have a pool table. But while it's perfectly understandable, I don't believe that anyone should be allowed to build a house which is completely overpowering the built environment of the area, and this would set a worrying precedent. In isolation, each of these points would bring the proposal into question. When they're taken together, it's clear that this proposal is, will dis demonstrably harm the neighboring property, the street scene, the overall landscape, and the nearby listed building. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Mr. Annell. Uh, next speaker is Mr. Watkins. Do you have three minutes, Mr. Watkins? Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Elfin Watkin, living in Ashley, the immediate neighbouring property to the west. Oddersfield District Council suggested limited home extensions may be admissible, but this proposal goes from a two-bedroom bungalow to a four- to five-bedroom house. This application proposes a ground floor enlargement from 88 to about 145 square metres, a nearly 64% increase. If the building is also raised as proposed by 2.55 metres, it's nearly eight and a half feet, the useful living volume in the building will increase by about 300%. No other building in the hamlet has had the original roof height raised. This has maintained the distinct bungalow-type development in the area within the original green over the past 80 years. In the recent past, Tuttlesford District Council have refused development of even modest chalet bungalows in the hamlet. The Council suggests that any development should consider neighbours and be kept within respectable distance of boundaries. This proposal changes our boundary at present. Only the wall of a flat roof garage, as you've seen, presenting an area of about 14 square metres. Good facing brick exists, and it's nearly 5 metres to Pantal's bungalow. <coughs> It is proposed to increase this boundary wall to 55 square metres, four times greater, and in cement render. It will project beyond the front of our property, be less than a metre from it, and reach a height of 7.25 metres. This is higher than any other building in the hamlet, other than the historic development around the now enclosed green and the 1950s council houses. The council say we have a right to our space, but this proposal counteracts that. Policy H8 and Gen 2 are covered in 10.3 of the re report, but again Ashley to the west is completely ignored, but it is the only property seriously affected by loss of privacy, loss of daylight, an overbearing impact, and overshadowing by the proposal. In the appraisal 10.1, it agrees that the proposed new building protects or enhances the character of the part of the countryside in which it is set. As it overlooks the valley of the River Tur and given dramatic increase in bulk, it does not protect or enhance the character of the countryside in which it is set. Item 11 states the officer's conclusions which recommend approval, but given the immediate proximity and impact of this overlarge development on adjacent buildings and landscape, we cannot agree. 
I might just add that the listed building owner and the other objector agree with our submissions but are unable to be here today. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Watkins. And uh, we have also Mrs Watkins. No S. You're singular together. Thank you. You have three minutes. Well, when I wrote this, it was good afternoon, but anyway, good evening. I am Brenda Watkin, also of Ashley Willows Green. Uttlesford District Council Committee report contends that the design is acceptable as the extensions are in proportion to the original dwelling. This statement is refuted. The present dwelling is of L-shaped plan with a flat roof garage to the west. The width of the front and rear ranges is 5.7 metres with a roof height of 4.7, reducing to about 2.4 at, um, gar at the garage. This reduction in height acts as an effective spacer to our boundary, replicated in other bungalows in the road. The proposal seeks to turn this into a rectangular block, 12.6 by 11.2 metres. The span of 11.2 metres virtually doubles the width of the existing roofs, together with the increased roof height and front two-storey extension, automatically changes the scale and fails to respect the design of the original building. It also ignores the Essex Design Guide advice that has been adopted by Uttlesford District Council. Uttlesford Local Plan Policy H8 and Gen 2 refer to the tests for home extensions and design. These will be permitted if all of the following apply. Scale, design and materials respect those of the original building and have regard to surrounding buildings. The use of a roof span of 11.2 metres changes the scale and the design of the proposal so that it no longer respects the original building and fails to have any regard to surrounding buildings. As previously stated, Uttlesford have adopted and endorse the Essex Design Guide. Essex character is defined, defined as a rectangular building where spans are usually from 5 to 6.5 metres. In 1962, Pantiles was built at 5.7. So why allow an increase of nearly 100%? And we've been watching all of the Essex Design Guide new build through the afternoon. Dormers should be a minor incidence in the roof to light the roof space, not to gain head height. The large steep pitch dormers in a slack pitch roof are a major intrusion. One representation in support of the application is from the owner of the adjacent property, Whitethorns. Mr Neil Davis does not live in the area and Whitethorns, together with the next three bungalows, form part of his business providing care in the community. It is contended that the proposed application fails policy H8A and Gen 2 in that it does not respect the scale or design of the original or surrounding buildings. 
An effective extension to a similar style bungalow can be seen at Joe Algo Bannister Green, where the roof has been raised slightly, but the original L-shaped design retained. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs Watkins. And our final speaker is the applicant, Nicholas Seals. Now, according to our rules, I could give you nine minutes, Mr Seals, but you can uh, make some of good that news. It's not going to take long. Thank you very much. Um, I'd just like to outline a few uh, comments, first of all, that I think it was brought to committee by uh, Councillor Mills. Um, and the reasons were um, that I think he's been given false information that I may be a developer, um, which I'm not. I lived in the local area for 18 years and then had to move away to Chelmsford to afford to buy a house. After spending seven years in Chelmsford, I wanted to move back closer to my family, which live in the surrounding villages of Great Bardfield. I bought the property knowing it needed major development. Um, yeah. I then count, uh, took into consideration and went to a pre-application meeting with the planning officers here. Then, after their meeting, I changed the plans to suit their needs and then uh, and then put the pre-application in. That's all I've got to say. Cheers. Thank you very much. Uh, questions, members? Can, Councillor Freeman. <coughs> Can we see other building other other elevations there's another building i think that's quite high but uh, it may be in a photograph uh, <coughs> I, I want, I, my question is are there other buildings around with a ridge height like this in this street scene please bear in mind i'm not the case officer right. um yeah. and uh, the only thing i can show you is the photos yeah. um and uh, that one there, yes. What would be the ridge height on that? Um, Difficult to estimate, I guess. You can see it. From what I can yeah. see, they look to be similar-ish. Also, um, it's Stop hard to one. tell whether yeah. this one's any higher than yeah. what's next door because the relationship's different. Yeah. Um, okay, no, no matter. So no. I'm not sure. Uh, my only point is I, I, I'm happy to accept that it's a bungalow scene and uh, uh, the proposed house is uh, almost twice the volume, I think, apart from the increased height. So it would be quite a lot different. It would have an impact, no question about that. Okay. Councillor Mills, you wanted to say something. Um, yes, Chairman. Um, just as to answer Councillor Freeman's concerns or whatever as to the makeup of the area, um, we did a bit of a survey and came up with basically um, of about 70 properties. Eight are two-storey properties. Um, four or five are one-and-a-half-storey. And then you've got a collection with sort of various dormers and ever, you know, other bits like that. But you've predominantly got 60 bungalows. Um, it's very much the nature of the area. And we're sitting on these committees uh, insisting that developers give us affordable housing, yet we're sitting here taking affordable housing away. 
and I just think that it's, uh, it's an irreversible step if we start doing this because more houses will be done because there's you know, things to be gained, if you like. And I think uh, it should be our intent to try and maintain some of the character of some of the areas we live in now. Thank you. Any further questions? Janice? Uh, sorry, Councillor Lock. No, I agree. I think it's uh, out of character uh, with the uh, surrounding buildings. And, uh, uh, you know, I agree. Every time we get a bungalow go, we, lo we lose it. We don't get them back. And then we usually get something that goes on it that is twice the size. Or you might find that you get three or four houses on the footprint of the site that the bungalow is on. So, I, I, no, I, I can't go with this, I'm afraid. Thank you. Uh, could you show us a front elevation again, please, uh, existing and proposed? Thank you. So that's, that's the, proposed. the proposed. And that's the existing. Thank you. And the floor plans, please, Sumail. That's the existing floor plans. Oops, sorry, I'm not sure what order these are in. And that's the proposed floor plan. And that's the ground floor. And obviously yeah, there's the first floor on that as well. You got the first floor? I don't have the first floor. Oh, yes, we don't yes, have the first floor. Thank you. Okay, well, we've got a. Do we got a proposal? Haven't we? Do we have got a proposal? No, we haven't got a proposal. Right, this is recommended for approval. Um, I'm going to recommend that. Uh, I'm going to propose that we accept that recommendation from the chair. Does that find a seconder? No. Okay, then I need a proposal, please, for refusal. And that's from Councillor Mills. Does that find a seconder? Thank you. That's Councillor Lachlan. And we'll go to the vote, please, on that. All those in favour of... Oh, sorry, reasons, yes. Begging your pardon. Thank you. H8 and Gen 2. Thank you very much. And so we'll go to the vote on that. All those in favour of refusal, please show. And against... And, abs and abstentions too. So that matter is refused. Thank you. And now we're moving on to item five, which is planning agreements, members. That's the end of our applications. You've had a chance to peruse the list of agreements. Are there any questions you wish to give to Mrs. Oliver? Yes, Councillor Lachlan. It's just I don't know what it means. It, the um, Ongar Road South says engrossment. What, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Sorry. <laughs> when agreements are sent out ready for signature, agreed and ready for signature, they're on engrossing paper, which is slightly thicker, and we put proper, we bind them properly, so we call them engrossments. Okay. Thank you. Right, fine. There being no further questions, we'll move on to 
any other urgent business. I have not been notified of any, so therefore I am going to declare the meeting closed at well, blimey, uh, <laughs> ten to six. <laughs> Thank you.